must be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Businessman there, drink my wine. Come and dig my earth. None will level on the mine. Nobody of it is worth. I need you to do something for me. Okay, yeah, what, 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 anything. Anything for you, Crystal. Are you ready? Yeah. I want to make sure you're ready. I'm, I think I'm ready. Show me the Batcave. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, all right, let me, let me go over to this antique grandfather clock. You've probably noticed it, or perhaps you haven't, because it fades so eloquently into the background of this study. <laughs> but actually, when I reach inside and pull a secret lever, my bookcase slides open. Is that the Batcave? That's the Batcave down there. Isn't that how it works in, like, the Batman the Animated Series? You got a little grandfather clock switch? Yeah, that's correct. There's a grandfather clock. They don't really do that anymore. No, I mean, yeah, now it's all, like... I mean, I, I like the abandoned subway station in The Batman. That's a fun Batcave. <laughs> um, trying to remember, like, yeah. the uh, Do they even have, like, a secret elevator in, like, the original Nolan Batman? They definitely do by the third one. The second one, he's just like a shipping container somewhere. Yeah, I don't remember how they transition into the Batcave. Yeah. I'm introducing a new segment to the show. Okay, yeah, what's that? It's inspired by ornate stairwells. We're going to rate all the Batcaves of the show. Oh, okay, sure. There's some Batcaves in this one. Yeah. You can go to uh, bit.ly slash MarvelGPA to see these. So the first Batcave, 1966. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's a primo Batcave right there. That's that is like the iconic Batcave. Mm-hmm. I, I I gotta give that one like. Am I just grading it like a movie? Yep. Okay. Yeah. A plus. A plus. Yeah, the thing about this Batcave is I don't feel like it's that impressive in just a single shot. But what I really like about it is that Batman could say anything, and Robin would go find a device that does it. Yeah, everything has the stupid labels. They've got the rocket-powered platforms at the bottoms of the fireman poles so they can ride them back up. It, it's They've got <laughs> the the tap water faucet has a switch to flip it over to hard water to kill you with. <laughs> I'm going to be a little more reserved there. I'm going to give it B+. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. It's basically everything I want out of that cave. 1978 Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, okay. Okay, I was going to ask if that's where we're going. I, mm, not a lot going on in here, huh? All kind of samey. No gadgets. No, no fun. I don't even know. Like, there's not even like a couch for Superman to, like, he lived there for like a decade plus. Yeah, I, th- I think it looks pretty cool from the inside, from the outside, but then the inside is underwhelming. I mean, also the movie spends very little time in there, and the time we do have- You know what? Ooh, I'm gonna have to ding it hard for having Marlon Brando's weird little, uh, fascist Jor-El telling him about how to be god of the earth. That's a bad feature to have in your Batcave, I think. I- I think I gotta go, like, C-minus. 
It, it does look a little cool, so I'm not fully flunking it, but, you know, they can do better. Yeah, I think uh, C- minus is the grade that I will give it as well. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, the Owl Cave from 2009's Watchmen. I'm into the Owl Cave in that it's, like, mostly just a guy's basement that he tried to make into a bat cave. It's got, you know, that homemade vibe to it, but it's also an abandoned subway station. It's kind of got the best of both worlds. I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm relatively high on the Owl Cave. I mean, it's not quite Batman 66 level. I'm gonna say, like, a, I'm gonna say, like, a solid B. Yeah, I was thinking the same. I think it's really elevated by the fact that, like... He doesn't have a mansion. He doesn't have acres of land. He has right. a townhouse in New York, and he has to make do with that. Yeah, totally. He has to somehow connect it to the subway. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all the three bat caves we have. Well, what about Karnak? That's kind of a, that's a fortress of solitude, isn't it? I, that ain't no bat cave. It's a fortress of solitude, I'd say. It's literally a fortress in the Arctic. Hmm. It, it hmm. I, I mean, it it might be a bad bat cave, but it's still like in the category. Yeah, that's the thing. I can't I can't remember anything about Karnak. It's got that wall of TVs. Yeah, it's got that wall of TVs where he watches all his Twitch streams. Got a weird tiger. Yeah, I got Bubastis. Got Bubastis. Uh, he has servants that he kills. He's got Jimi Hendrix playing way too loud. Thank goodness he's don't got no neighbors or he'd be waking him up. Okay, yeah, I'll put Karnak on the list, sure. What, what would you rate it? I definitely think it's, mm, it's, it's in competition with Fortress of Solitude for the worst one. The design of it's not as striking, uh, partially just because it's a CG creation, mostly. I, I think we, I gave, uh, Fortress a C minus. I'll go, I'll go a D for Karnak. Ozymandias can do better. If this was the comics Karnak, I would rate it higher, but I'm gonna give this one a straight F. Yeah, the comics Karnak really hammers home that it's like a fucking, like, ancient Macedonian palace out in the snow. That's cool. You said you gave it a D minus? Uh, just a straight D. Okay. Yeah, I would say one of the common comparisons I have between this movie and the comic, the comic, incredible art, visually a fine book. Yeah. This film, not not as visually impressive. No, but I do think it's got some shots and some sequences that I like to look at. It definitely, it, it varies. It comes and it goes. Both of us watched the 2009 Watchmen film and also read the comic book. I did not have time to finish the comic book, unfortunately. I was very busy at work today. I thought I could get through the back half of it at work. I'm like midway through the psychologist uh, analyzing Rorschach. I did not get the like final act of it. Perhaps the worst issue of the series. It's not good. <laughs> Alan Moore is so stupid. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Elaborate. Why would anyone idolize this guy when I wrote a whole issue about how he blows a psychiatrist's mind with his Sigma grind set? <laughs> yeah, there's not. It make we were we were talking about this yesterday. It's not hard to see how people come away from that comic thinking Rorschach is cool. The comic doesn't think Rorschach is cool, but it perhaps does not do enough to, like, make that opinion heard. The only difference between him and, like, any contemporary action hero is that he smells bad and doesn't have a girlfriend. And I know that people love gremlin characters. Yeah, he's a stinky little man in, in the comic book. He's a stinky little man in this, too. Yeah, no, he, yeah, that, that is one thing they faithfully adapt. 
Um, and, and they just like spend a little more time in like the squalor of his shitty little apartment and like the way he just, you know, we see him eat the beans, but we don't see him like eat a raw egg out of the shell like he does in the comic. <laughs> yeah. We watch the ultimate edition of this film, which is uh, like three hours, 23 minutes or something. Yeah, so there's three different versions of this movie. There's the one that came out in theaters, uh, and then there's Zack Snyder's director's cut, and then there's the ultra-spicy jumbo version, which is the director's cut with animated sequences intercut with it of the uh, the Tales of the Black Freighter pirate comic. That's kind of a big thing in the comic itself, but is, like, really only gestured to in the other two cuts of the movie. I think last time we said we were talking about the director's cut, but I watched the ultimate because I forgot what we said. Yeah, and I found <clears throat> the only version I could find easily because I'm lazy was the ultimate cut, but I skipped past the bra the Black Freighter <laughs> parts because I thought, well, we're not talking about those. But they're not really that interesting. No, well, I, reading just the amount of the comic I read, the way the comic uses the Black Freighter is, like, impossible to do in the movie. It would be so fucking, like... It just oppressive and annoying if it worked the way it's supposed to work. We're like the narration of the com like every fucking panel when the com the Black Freighter is involved is like a character has a line of dialogue. Next to them is narration from the Black Freighter that is like a little counterpoint to what they just said. Then they say something else. Then another counterpoint from the narrative. It would just be like, oh my god! Like imagine if a narrator kept cutting in every other line in the movie. I think um. I kind of appreciated them as chapter breaks in the Ultimate Edition. It made it kind of feel like Zack Snyder's Justice League. Sure, okay, sure. I, I'll take your word for it. It, it made like, oh, I can pause the film after this segment and then return and it'll be a new chapter. Yeah, and I, to be fair, I feel like mm, this movie could use clean chapter breaks because, like, in some ways, this movie is, like, slavishly devoted to, like, the source material. And the thing about the source material is it's, you know, broken into chapters, and the different chapters have different, like, narrative conceits. We're like, this one's gonna be all Rorschach in first person. This one's gonna be, you know, the funeral with a bunch of flashbacks. And when it's broken into big chapters, you can kind of switch modes like that a lot more easily than when the movie all of a sudden just decides, hey, now this part's gonna be shot totally differently. Uh, and it's like, Wait, whoa, hold on, why are we, oh, okay. It's, this movie's a fucking mess in a lot of ways. <laughs> This is slavishly devoted in the sense of the narrative, except for the squid, yeah. of course. But, like, it doesn't really recreate, like, the pacing of, or the visuals no. of the comic. Well, usually it, it's very obsessed with the visuals, but in, like, an iconographic way. Like, yeah. there's so many shots where it's like, oh, that is a recreation of this panel. Except we completely changed the coloring of the scene and, like, we didn't think about how to, like, film this in a way that maintained the sense of pacing. But, you know, this one shot, if you took this frame out, hey, that is a dead-on match for the comic book. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the tricks Watchmen likes to do are pretty filmic. Like, they'll have match cuts and they'll have, like, a line of dialogue that links two scenes by being relevant to both. Right. Which you could just do in a movie, but the editing in this is kind of basic, except for Mr. Snyder's love of slow motion. He does love that slow motion. It's, it's, yeah, it's really in here. <laughs> I think, what all did Zack Snyder do before this? He did 300 and he did the Dawn of the Dead remake? Is that all? Yeah, that's all. I think this is his third feature okay. film. I've never seen his Dawn of the Dead. Um, does he do the fast motion, slow motion thing in that one? I've also never seen it, but I think he okay. might have introduced that for 300. Yeah, I know it was a big thing in 300. This movie, I mentioned that the structure of it is kind of like Zack Snyder's Justice League. I also think uh -huh. Batman versus Superman is kind of a sequel to this movie. It's about a reaction to Alien 9-11. 
Sure, I get what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, the, the, this movie is three and a half hours and it still feels really rushed because, hey, Watchmen's a long comic and they didn't want to do, like, anything to trim down the length. It just, nothing has any time to breathe and you're just like, I would be fascinated to know the opinion of someone that has just never read the comic and knows nothing about it, what they think of this movie, because I feel like you'd be fucking lost. Yeah, I think it's probably, it might have been easier to do if it had a lower budget, honestly, because the, the parts they extended are yeah. like the action scenes, of which there are not that many. Yeah, yeah. But then they condensed a lot of the just slower scenes of characters talking, which is right. most of the comic. There's not that much like plotty plot plot in the comic. Yeah, there, there's, like, no action in the comic, practically. Like, the action always happens, like, oh, that, like, we're we're just in the moments after an action scene or right before it. Like, there's a handful of actual fights in the comic. Like, the events of the comic are the comedian gets murdered, uh, yeah. Dr. Manhattan exiles himself, uh, World War is about to start, Rorschach goes to prison, they bust him out, they find out Ozymandias did it, and then they go to Antarctica. Like, that's the whole plot as such. Yeah, the plot really, again, I'm, like, a little over halfway through, and the plot has barely happened. It's very just like, hey, we're living in this world, we're looking at this world from all these different angles. Um, we're, like, getting every character's perspective on what this world is like. There are two things often said about this movie. One is that it's kind of slavishly devoted, which I think narratively it is, but visually not so much. And then um, that this is like Snyder diluting the leftist messages of Watchmen and adding his own Randian perspective. Interesting. I don't know if I've heard that. Um, I mean, it's got the same... It has the same thrust as the, like, book. I don't think it does it as well, but it's the same basic idea. Luke, this is the movie where he believes that Rorschach is right, that Veidt is a homosexual, and he even portrays him as a pedophile. Wait, when does he portray Veidt as a pedophile? He doesn't, but there's a folder on his computer that says, Boys. Right, okay, well now, now that does suck ass. <laughs> we, that is just bad storytelling. <laughs> Hey, how how do we subtly imply that Vite is actually gay? I don't know. He'll just have a folder on his desktop at work called Boys. <laughs> but the, the thing about Adrian to me in this movie is why do they just make him... Adrian in the book is, like, charismatic and, like, friendly and open and, like... You know, he's very like, ah, I'm the nice business guy that everybody likes. Who could ever want to murder me? Actually, I'm a little bit of a stinker, it'll turn to find out. And in this, he's just a Nazi. <laughs> Why'd they give him a German accent to have, like, sinister dialogue with? He only has the accent when he puts on the suit. <laughs> <laughs> no, he does when he's in his business suit with Dan, like, early. He's like, Dan, it's been too long. I'm German. Oh, so he, he puts on an American accent for the public. <laughs> Yeah, because, like, the book has one line near the end about, like, I think his dad was German and, like, there was suspicion that maybe his dad was a Nazi sympathizer, but, like, unconfirmed. And that just turned into, well, obviously he should just be <laughs> fucking Red Skull in this movie. Yeah, he does kind of stare out the window and look extremely evil. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the book, like, we're introduced to him, and he's just, like, kind of, like, he seems, like, open and happy, but he has, like, a quiet moment where he looks at the window sadly, and his, like, desk is covered in, like, Ozymandias toys, and it's just like, ah, he's, he's the man who has everything, but there's a hollowness to it. This movie's version of it is just like, no, this dude's obviously evil and planning something horrible. <laughs> Why don't you punch him? It's also because Dan goes to see him in the movie, whereas in the book it's Rorschach. It's Rorschach, yeah, And yeah. he gets to look sympathetic. He's like, well, sorry your friend died, but he was kind of a Nazi. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, it's it's a weird change that like and like listen, that plot twist is famous. If you know anything about comics, you know I did it 35 minutes ago. I'm not I don't really care about preserving the twist. Just the characterization of it feels really off to me and like makes him a less interesting character because the whole thing is like, no, no, no. I understand I just killed a million people, but like no, I'm still the good guy here. Y- come on now. Like I I am the square-jawed American hero. And that just happens to mean I have to kill a million people to save the world. That's all. It's fine, guys. It's normal. It's regular. On this reread of the comic I just did, he he really came off as almost like a parody of like a Tony Stark type guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he monologues so long about his plan. At the end of it, it's just like, I cloned the brain of a psychic to make a giant squid. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I love... I- I can completely understand why they made that change in this movie. I kind of love the squid. It's so fucking stupid. No, yeah, I think the squid is way better than what they do in this movie. Yeah, like, I I get it from, like, if I'm sitting around in a writer's room and, like, well, that makes it, like, it brings everything around thematically, but no, the squid's better. It needs to be, like, a completely alien threat and not just, like... There's the thing I was thinking during this. The whole idea is that, hey, the whole world is on the brink of World War III. We're going to kill everybody. I will just set off a horrible explosion in every major city. You're telling me not a single fucking person with nukes just panicked and hit the button when that happened? Yeah. Hell, you'd be a one-off thing that happens to America, like the main superpower, is, like, that just makes more sense. And like making something that it's not an explosion. It, it couldn't be possibly mistaken for a bomb. The the plan resolves the crisis that he also escalated by exiling Manhattan. Yeah, also that, yes. It's not like on the brink at the beginning. It's on the brink in a more normal way. But then when it becomes like, oh, the world might end tomorrow, that's his fault. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Should we go through the plot of this movie? Sure. I like this opening. I like I like the fucking I like the comedian sitting down and me like I don't want to watch the news. I don't want I want to watch this perfume commercial. <laughs> this I'm into. It's honestly probably the most humanizing thing the comedian ever does is just make some tea and watch TV. Yeah, I just like that he like he hits the commercial is like now we're talking. Like he grins and just sort of settles into his chair. <laughs> I love um I love the conversation they have on TV. They just talk very old TV style. The horror of nuclear war. I think this host is like based on a real guy. Yeah, these are all real people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a scale of one to ten, ten being absolute moral certitude. Um, and th- they're also setting up that Manhattan is going to be the guy because they're like, well, you know, Manhattan's making everybody a little nervous. Right. Right, because they can't do the stuff, like, go ahead. Because I think in the book, it's, it's kind of played like, oh, Manhattan is God, but that doesn't really change anything. Well, I think the idea that Manhattan is God is, like, slowly, I mean, it kind of changes a lot. I mean, I don't know, they fucking, we win Vietnam, and also all the cars are electric now, like, I feel like Manhattan is the main thing that, like, causes the alt history stuff. Yeah, but, like, he doesn't change the he's not making everybody scared he's making the soviet union scared sure yeah like there's not a sense that he will completely change like the geopolitical makeup of the world he'll just have america win 
Right, because God is real and he's American. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas because this wants to change what the plan is, it has to make Manhattan more of a global threat. Right. Well, and the the book does have stuff about like, hey, we are assuming that the Soviets will just rationally say, well, we can never beat Dr. Manhattan, so we have to back off. They're like, they're all fucking dudes that are still alive from fucking World War II when they beat the Nazis, like after the most bloody war ever. These guys might just fucking kill us just to like throw a middle finger up. Like this is not actually a peaceful situation situation right but like yeah the movie doesn't have the luxury of being able to be like hey okay i hope you enjoyed that little bit of storytelling now here's an excerpt from a book <laughs> you know where like a political uh, like political scientist is going to give their analysis of the situation yeah no 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 you know, I guess this talk show bit is like them trying to capture that. Yeah, they weave a little bit of that in, but also half of the epistolary stuff kind of loses relevance once you lose the squid. Yeah, that's true. A lot of that stuff does build to the squid, doesn't it? I'm saying there were several other drafts for this movie and none of them had the squid in it. Why is everyone so sick, scared of the squid? If you're thinking about this from like a studio notes kind of perspective, it's like, well, the first thing you do is get rid of that stupid squid. It makes no sense. Except it makes perfect sense. It's like, because the whole fucking thing is that, like, it's a story about, like, superhero comics inspired real life superheroes that, like, led to all this awful shit happening. And then, hey, Adrian Veidt's gonna hijack a bunch of artists and fucking build a new horror that's gonna change. Like, it's just the comic doing, like, the squid is just a metaphor for the fucking comic. Yeah, he was inspired by the Black Freighter stories. Like, wow, this guy's a good writer. Right, he kidnapped the guy that wrote a man on 15 dead men's chests. <laughs> <laughs> man, the squid really ties everything together. Yeah, it do it's not, like, people treat it like it's an out-of-nowhere, like, bullshit move. No, it, it it's good. And, like, it makes sense in the context of the story. Did you ever watch the HBO Watchmen show? I never watched any of that. I watched the first episode of it, and much like this, it had its like it had stuff going on, but also I was like, no, no. Uh, but that one, like, it's a sequel, and it's you know, I guess to try to maintain the lie, uh, he still has like sometimes it just rains tiny squids like a thunderstorm or something, and that's that was a good little bit. I liked that and that. <laughs> it seems I don't know. Maybe it's just because the the ending came off so kind of comedic to me this time it seems yeah. so silly to take a, it seriously for a sequel to Watchmen. Mm -hmm. yeah because it feels like this will fall apart in like a month right yeah 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 um i the thing that like the first scene of that show which is immediately like mm, i don't know about this boys is uh like a guy gets pulled over, a, a white dude gets pulled over by a black cop, and he's very scared and nervous and trying to show the cop that he doesn't have a gun or anything. And also the cop's wearing a mask, because that's the thing in, in that show, that like, oh, the cops have become superheroes now, and what does that say about policing or whatever? But you know, uh, but uh, also, we flipped the racial dynamic of policing in America, doesn't that make you think? Except then actually, the guy he pulled over was a white supremacist terrorist, and he's able to shoot the cop because guns, like, anti-police brutality laws put a safety lock on the cop's gun so he couldn't draw his gun to protect himself and gets killed. I'm like, you made, like, three stupid points in the span of five minutes that all contradict each other and are all bad individually. What are we doing? That feels about in line with this comic. 
Because <laughs> the whole reason uh, the 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 Watchmen or the advent they call them Watchmen is like a generic term for superhero in this movie. Well, in the comic, they don't even say Watchmen. I I think the movie tries to imply that like I think the Minutemen were the Watchmen, and then they try to revive the Watchmen instead of having the Crime Busters. Yeah, it's like all all masked adventurers are Watchmen, whereas they're called masked adventurers in the comic, which I like a lot more. Yeah, I like calling them masked adventurers or costumed heroes. But the whole reason they got banned is because there was a police strike because the police yes. were mad about the, the masks doing all their jobs and the people were like, we want the cops back. Yeah, the police strike is the part of the comic that made the least sense to me. Like, why are, like, this doesn't, you would have riots if that happened, but they wouldn't look like this. Yeah, I, I can imagine some people arriving on that position, but not with the demographic the, makeup. You know who'd be in the riot crowds is the police. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it looks like a fucking, you know, normal riot when, like, say, for instance, the police kill an innocent person and people riot over it. That's, like, the imagery even the comic invokes. And, like, that's not what's going on here. Like, I think they wanted the image of superheroes putting down a riot and, like, didn't really have a good idea of how to get there. Because I'll admit, like, that's a cool idea for an image and, like, what they're trying to do with, like, superheroes in that story but I just, the, the, I like the Z. I don't think you had a good A to pair with it. I think that's a that's a common problem in Watchmen because hmm. as far as like uh, commentating on and critiquing superheroes, all of that is very front-loaded. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's not bad, but then it just kind of moves on from it and becomes a normal superhero story. I guess I can sort of see what you're saying. Yeah. Like the first three or four issues are all like, man, all these guys are extremely fascist and they sure just seem to be like helping the American empire. Right. But also they live in the Robocop world where there's criminals roaming the streets doing crimes because of their wretched hearts. Right. And I, what we were talking about, like that, that's like Rorschach's appraisal of it. And I think the idea is supposed to be, it's not criminals roaming the streets doing crime because of their wretched hearts. It's like, there is one of the epistolary sections that says like, yeah, we put all of our money into war now. And like our cities are collapsing because we don't invest in them at all. Cause we just put all the money into funding the empire. And it's like, yeah, the, like New York is a shithole full of crime because because of the superheroes, because Dr. Manhattan has like Ray and the comedian have like raised like the frenzy for American imperialism higher than it ever got even in real life. So that like there's just fucking like it's an empire with just like nothing going on in it other than war. But also you don't see that war very much other than when they win Vietnam. Yeah, I wish they would have uh, weaved some of that stuff in the epistolaries a little more into the, the comic panels. Yeah, I, I think that is a fair criticism. Because, yeah, like, Rorschach complains over and over, like, oh, these soft-hearted liberals, oh, they've, look at this disgusting city they've made with their child pornography, you know, just being a real right-wing shithead. But, like, Nixon got elected for a fourth term because the comedian killed Woodward and Bernstein and Dr. Manhattan won Vietnam. Like, what are you talking about, man? The fucking conservatives and fascists own America. This is exactly the world they want it to be. Yeah, Rorschach's an, uh, kind of an interesting guy because he's like, he, he's like rejecting his assigned place in society, right? Like he gives up his name, he gives up his face, right? he takes on his new identity, but he only becomes more right wing from that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know if he even really likes Nixon. No, he doesn't really offer an opinion on Nixon. Like he's always looking for something else, something outside. We know that he loves Harry S. Truman because he nuked Japan preemptively. Yes, they did cut that, that one out of his speech. 
Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Which, like, the whole fucking point of that is that it's, like, ironic that he likes that but doesn't like the squid. Because the squid's the same fucking idea. Like, well, you gotta kill people to save people, Rorschach. Yeah, I think Rorschach kind of just wanted a heroic death. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we lost the plot because, again, not, not much happens. The comedian dies. Yeah, I, I like this fight scene just fine. It's it's It looks good. I like this title sequence a lot. I think this title sequence kind of does most of what this movie does well in like, you know, a minute or two, and you kind of don't need the rest of the movie. I am, I am kind of a sucker for a Forrest Gump sequence. Yeah, like, and I like the way that, like, the first few shots are, like, ultra slow-mo, but the closer it gets to the present, it, like, gets closer and closer to just normal speed. And you just kind of get, yeah, this whole overview of the history of this weird superhero America and, like, the way at first, like, the superheroes are, you know, heroes. Like, they're popular and everyone loves them. And, like, hey, this lady, in this world, a lady kissed that nurse in that famous World War II photo because she's a superhero, so she can get away with that shit. Everyone's costumes are, like, intentionally goofy except for her. She looks fantastic. She looks really good. I like that when she kisses the nurse, the guy from the photo is just walking in the background like, hey, guys, I'm here. Well, <laughs> bye now. <laughs> Um, but then, like, it takes a dark turn where you start seeing them, like, die off and you see, like, the world get more fucked up. And, you know, uh, the lady hero that kissed the nurse, like, are both, like, found dead in bed together. And, like, then Dr. Manhattan shaking hands with John F. Kennedy and, like, oh, okay, this got weird. <laughs> and then the comedian kills Right, yeah, Dr. Manhattan shakes hands with Kennedy, cut to the comedian murdering Kennedy. And he's so happy about it. <laughs> Jeffrey Dean Morgan really brings a charisma to this role. He does. He does. I I think all the actors are a little hamstrung by how beholden this movie is to like doing the comic dialogue because the comic dialogue is written for the comic, and when you have actual people saying the lines, especially when it's not at all like there's something heightened or sort of melodramatic about this movie. And it sounds really awkward and forced when they try to, like, do the Alan Moore dialogue with each other. Yeah, I would say most of the actors are a bit, are a bit stiff in this movie. Yeah. Like, I, I agree. I like Jeffrey Dean Morgan in general in this movie. But, like, in the intro sequence, when he's, like, beaten up and uh, Vite, like, grabs him by the collar and he just goes, It's a joke. <laughs> Mother, forgive me. Like, <laughs> yeah, that sucks. <laughs> but I don't know how you do that delivery well. I don't know if that's his fault, really, that it sucks. Yeah, I agree. And then, yeah, the cops are investigating the murder. It's relatively faithful dialogue-wise to the, you know, comic. It's pretty much just doing the same thing. These cops don't really show up again. No, they don't. They they come back a couple times in the comic, and this is their only scene in the movie. And then, yeah, it cuts straight to Rorschach coming in later that night to investigate. Uh, get a lot of the, uh, you know, Rorschach journal stuff. Cut the Harry Truman line, but sure made sure to keep the, the fucking R slur in there. Yeah, they say that a few times in this movie. Yeah, and like they do say it in the comic, but I feel like they say it more in the movie. Yeah, I think they, they add in a few of those. I remember people complaining when this movie came out that like in the comic, Rorschach finds the comedian's like hidden cash with his uh, costume and stuff by like inspecting his closet, noticing the way that like the wardrobe isn't as deep inside as it should be from the outside. And that's how he like starts to pick at it and find a button. Whereas in the movie, he just like, you know, feels around and finds a button. It's like, yeah, guys, it's a movie. We can't, we cannot watch Rorschach test the depth of this wardrobe for 10 minutes. 
Oh, if only we could. If only this was made 10 years later as an HBO original series. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Honestly, if, I don't know if it would have been good. I think it would have been better. It would have had more time to breathe. Yeah, but the, the thing about, I love, I love looking at the comic. Yeah. I, I like seeing him slowly inspect the closet because the colors are so vibrant and beautiful. Yeah, it is weird that for like how much, like clearly all the set decorators and stuff are really thorough with all that, but the one way that they just do not care about how the comic looks, they have zero interest in recreating the color palette at all. Everything's very dark and blue. And like the color palette is a really notable thing about Watchmen. I'm not a big comics nerd and I know that like the whole thing with it is that comics usually rely more on primary colors and Watchmen has an almost entirely like secondary colors based palette. It's a lot of like greens and purples and oranges, whereas it's usually, you know, red, blue and yellow. Like that's Superman's colors, you know? And yeah, that's just not it's it's a lot of dull yellow and dark blue in this movie. Uh, we cut to the night Owls talking, and the Hollis Mason gives a speech about how, you know, the criminals were the ones masking up first, and we had to mask up to stop them. Yeah. He's he's given a similar speech to Rorschach, just not as lurid. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not as going in as deep. They, how do you feel about Hollis in the movie versus the comic? Um, I didn't notice a major difference in his portrayal. It's not hugely different. I like Hollis in the movie. Like, I like this actor. I think he does a really good job. Um, you know, he's got that warm grandpa energy. I just, um, I feel like there's a little bit more, like, specificity in the way he's written in, like, the epistolary sections. Where, like, he's like, yeah, I'm kind of a weird little freak. I'm self-aware enough to recognize that. But at the time, it really just seemed like the only thing I could do was put on a Speedo and go beat up guys dressed as an owl. It it made sense. And I'm going to walk you through why it made sense to me. It probably still won't make sense to you. That's fine. I don't know. I, I like the way he's written in those, like, under the hood sections. And how do you feel that's different here? I don't It's just more like, I don't know. It's It's not... It's not that different. It's just a little more like, yeah, I'm an old guy and I used to beat up bad guys. Anyway, bye. You know, it's just a little less, like, self-aware, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's, it, I'm nitpicking. It's not like, I don't think, oh, they really blew it with the Hollis Mason portrayal, in my opinion. Really sunk the movie. No, I think it's perfectly good. It just, like, he popped for me in the book a little bit more than he did in the movie. Rorschach goes to talk to Night Owl. He's like, I don't know, it seems kind of paranoid. I don't think there's a mass killer about. It's probably just a burglar or something that killed him. Which, like, yeah, it is, you know, you're really, the idea that, well, after one superhero died, well, obviously there's a serial killer hunting superheroes. Like, eh, hold on. It's really funny how long Rorschach clings to the mass killer theory. I, I do appreciate that he's just dead fucking wrong. <laughs> like, no, that's not what's going on, stupid. <laughs> like, he's still ranting about it in the background as Night Owl is on Ozymandias' computer. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, like, no, he killed a single superhero. Like, that, that is something, too, I like about, you know, it's it's definitely a little more pronounced in the book, but it's, it's in the movie, too, because the movie's an adaptation of the book. Just the idea that, like, yeah, most of the superheroes are kind of like, yeah, I know, it was kind of a fun fad in the newspaper to read some guys beating up bank robbers for, like, a couple of years, but the only heroes that actually matter are the government spy and the, like, human atomic bomb. That's the only one anyone really cares about. Those are the ones that, like, matter and, like, change the world in a meaningful way. Right, they're played like a historical fad rather than some big moment. 
Right. And it just like kind of by happenstance that like, well, because they were a fad when the when John Osterman like exploded, I guess that is like the lens through which we're going to understand Dr. Manhattan, even though it's kind of two things that have nothing to do with each other. There's also a little bit of an element of like, oh man, the, the, like we were like indie superheroes, whereas John is being being like managed by the PR guys. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, again, the pretty good bat cave. I like his dusty old owl cage. I don't quite understand how this is connected to the subway. No, I don't really either. <laughs> Maybe, okay, uh, th- my best guess is that this is like a sub, like his house doesn't have a base. It's not supposed to have a basement. And he like looked at old maps of the subway and like dug a staircase down into it. <laughs> so he built all this by himself. Well, say a lot of this was already here because this is like a decommissioned subway station or something. He mostly just like built the tunnel that connects it to his house. <laughs> How did he get the ship down here? Through the, the you know, sewers or whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or he built it in here. I don't know. Wait, like, how does it leave here? Well, we see it, like, rising up out of the water near the end. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, like, there's some kind of, like, tunnel that goes out into, like, the harbor or something. Sure, okay. Yeah. And then, at that point, it's the first Black Freighter bit. You got anything to say about this? It has a very cheap, uh, direct-to-DVD animation-looking style. Yeah. Some of the shots are, like, animated decently, and then some of them are not. (laughs) This is, like, my memory is that this was, like, a DVD bonus feature, right? Yes, and I think they also edited in the the newsstand scenes oh okay yeah yeah yeah. i don't think the black Friday adds that much to this version of the story no you don't need the black freighter at all like i kind of like the black freighter in the comic you could cut it from the comic and it wouldn't matter that much you know once you lose the squid it doesn't matter that much especially once you lose the squid that's true the squid ties everything together it really <laughs> much like lebowski's rug it really ties this whole comic together I do appreciate seeing the newsstand guy. I wish he got to talk more like he does in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that, like, in the book, you keep coming back to this newsstand and you keep, like, dropping more and more characters into it that all have, like, relationships with each other. And they're kind of, like, standoffish with each other, but then they kind of reach a point of, like, understanding and, like, care for each other right before Vite kills them all. You know? I feel like that drives home his villainy way more than this movie does. That's what we're saying about all these movies, is you need to have scenes of the regular New Yorkers. Yeah, exactly. The Watchmen book gets that, and the Watchmen movie's like, well, we can have a couple tossed-off ones, I guess, because they're in the book. Yeah, they don't they don't have all the minor ones coming through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then this is where we get introduced to Ozymandias, the world's smartest man. He hung up the superhero cape to become a businessman. He's doing the Tony Stark plan of giving free electric energy to the whole world. Yeah, he sounds so goddamn sinister as he explains his plan to give free energy to everybody. He's like, ah, but yes, if we made resources infinite, then war generally think past. Oh. Like, why are you being a creep about it? <laughs> he looks so evil. Because <laughs> he's not like a tech guy in the book. He's like, he sells toys. He buys stocks. I don't really know what fucking, uh, I don't even remember what his company's called, but I don't know what it does in the book, because it doesn't really matter. 
Yeah, he mostly seems to be just, like, buying stocks strategically. It's like a holding company. Yeah, yeah, and then, like, yeah, right, it's got the toy line. You know, it, it has a bunch of, like, uh, spinoff companies that, like, especially on a reread, you see that you kind of get that every fucking billboard in the background is a subsidiary of Vite Industries, which I like. Like, that's a fun little, like, art touch. Like, oh, Vite's not really in the comic very much till the end, except actually, he's everywhere. It's really funny to me how long it takes Rorschach to figure out that the delivering company with the purple triangle <laughs> logo might be related uh-huh. to the company with the big <laughs> purple pyramid on top of its tower. Who could possibly be underwriting Pyramid Transnational? Maybe I should ask the guy who names all of his fucking bullshit after Egyptian crap. But Vite is just, you know, he's just so lovable and charismatic that no one would ever suspect him. (laughs) Uh, Rorschach takes too goddamn long to break into this military base. I guess they gotta fit all this journal narration in, I guess. I think they also just want some scenes of him looking cool and doing sneaking. Here's the thing. If you make him look cool while he's doing this, though, it ruins the irony of him being like, why do so few of us not have any personality disorders? <laughs> like, <laughs> the whole point is, like, he's oblivious to the fact that he's talking about himself. But when you make him look cool and badass doing all this sneaking and parkour, it kind of loses that. I mean, he looks pretty cool in the book. He's a cool guy. He does cool, cool guy action hero things. I feel like in this part in the book, he's kind of just scuffling around, you know? Yeah, they definitely, like, every little smidge of action in the book is extended, for sure. Yeah. Like, the, the prison fight is not that long. Right. And, like, there, there's a lot of narration in the book that if you're wanting to keep, you gotta make the visuals go on longer for the narration to, like, have time to be spoken. But, yeah, it just kind of, Perhaps that is why you should adapt the source material instead of just trying to fit as much of it into the movie as you can. There are only 24 frames per second to work with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he goes to see Dr. Manhattan. This, uh, I think this blue glow looks really bad. It doesn't look amazing. He he definitely looks very, like, cut and paste into most scenes. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about Billy Crudup as Dr. Manhattan. How, how do you feel about him? I think that the script is saying that Dr. Manhattan is, like, an emotionless robot, and Billy Crudup sounds like he is on the brink of crying this entire movie. Really? <laughs> like, hi, hi, guys, I'm Dr. Manhattan. How you doing? I just care about physics and stuff. I don't really care about people very much. He kind of sounds to me like he was like, um, like he has to put a lot of effort into speaking vocally. Mm-hmm. Like that's the impression I got out of his performance. Yeah. Like he'd prefer to just not speak and interact with humans at all. He's like, okay, I gotta put on my voice. Yeah. I remember Zack Snyder being very proud of how much Manhattan dick is in this movie. They put four Manhattan dicks in one frame. They sure do. Every frame a painting. Every frame a painting. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. He, why is he? I, that's a weird choice on the part of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, I feel like. just I don't, Obviously, once you become God, why you ever wear pants? I, I think the idea is that, like, clothes have social meanings. So they're like a sign of humanity. And as it becomes less human, he abandons clothes like an animal. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. And, like, the comic also has the thing of, like, you see over time, he's wearing less and less clothes until he's just naked, whereas this movie doesn't really do that so much. He just kind of, you know, wears his little, like, Speedo once or twice, and that's it. 
he makes Laurie have a flashback. Yeah, he's like way more. It it is definitely part of his character in the book that he's very like deterministic and like he sees all of time at the same time, and that means that like he has like everything is predetermined. But he's way more like on about that from the beginning in the movie, where he's like, "No, nah, here, check it, Laurie. I'll just poke you, and then we'll see the comedian twist early." There you go. Ta da. Yeah, it feels like they kind of have to put him in a little bit more of a narrative box because his role in the plan is bigger. His role in the plan is bigger and it's very like, he's definitely the highest concept part of this whole thing. And you gotta like get people familiar with those ideas early, especially cause like, like the comic can assume that the reader is probably a comic book reader and is used to comic book bullshit. This was a movie released for general audiences. They wanted to make a lot of money off of it and not just have weirdos that like bullshit sci-fi watch it. So they got to kind of like, you know, really try to get all these ideas in there and like convey them quickly and like in an easy to understand way. <sighs> Laurie and Dan um, go on a date that immediately has a romantic tenor. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> They're like all dressed up at a nice fancy restaurant. These are not friends at a diner. And 99 Red Balloons is playing and, like, the drop hits as soon as Laurie walks in the door. <laughs> How do you feel about uh, Laurie's actress in this movie? I, she's kind of bad. She's kind of bad. <laughs> she's kind of not that good. And it's a shame because she's kind of written with, like, the most emotional lines. Yeah, like, the book already kind of has her as sort of the emotional core of it, and the movie sort of doubles down on that, and she's she kind of just doesn't have it. Yeah. She's she's just got some real stinker deliveries in this movie. Yeah. I think Night Owl's pretty pretty good. Yeah, I think her scenes with Night Owl is where she's the best. Yeah, I think that's true. Night Owl in general is like not being asked to do a ton. I have no idea what this actor's name is. I I don't really recognize most of the actors in this movie, which is interesting. Yeah, they kind of famously didn't cast any big names. Yeah, I mean, when your biggest names are like Billy Crudup and Jackie Earl Haley, yeah, that's that's notable in a movie with this kind of budget. They're kind of all supposed to be equal in the narrative, so you don't want one to be, like, way more important than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if some of the issue with Laurie is that, like, I don't know what they did to get the Manhattan effect, but it, it might be some weird, like, you have to look at a tennis ball on someone's head and it's like a different actor and they paste his head on top of that or something that makes it a little more difficult to act. I would buy that if she was only bad in the Dr. Manhattan scenes. <laughs> yeah. But she's, like, also bad in the scenes with her mom. She's definitely at her best with the scenes with Dan, but she's not, like, you know, a knockout. Yeah. I don't. I feel bad being mean, but she's just kind of not that good. This movie really highlights to me how much better character actors are. Because I think all the character actors are nailing it in this movie. Jackie Earl Haley, like, frankly, just looks like a guy that they spit out of a machine to be Rorschach. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which seems like a rude thing to say because Rorschach is canonically, like, I think they call him fascinatingly ugly. <laughs> And I don't mean to be mean to Jackie Earl Haley. I like him. I've liked him in other stuff too. But he just really looks and acts the part just kind of... More than anyone else, he's the guy that like feels like he leapt off the comic page, you know? Yeah, the makeup work on his face looks gross. He looks like he does yeah. not bathe. Did you ever watch um the Amazon uh, reboot of The Tick? I have not seen that. He plays like the main villain in that. He's really good. Oh. That's a good show. I, I I recommend the Amazon Tick. I know he plays uh, Gruishka in the Lead of Battle Angel. 
I mean, who, I, I've seen that movie, but I'm blanking. He's like the the big robot evil man. Okay. Fine flick. Yeah, I like Alita Battle Angel. I wish they would make another one. And not just because the last, literally the last shot of that movie is, by the way, here's the villain. Anyway, bye. <laughs> you can read the comic books. I suppose I could. I suppose I could. <laughs> uh, it's the comedian's funeral. We get a real, like... All right, Zach, why'd you do... You didn't need to have the camera pull through the letters of the word cemetery over the arch. You could have just pulled under the arch. What are we doing? (laughs) You don't have to make every shot the most extra it can possibly be. Zack Snyder loves that kind of zoom out. Yeah, he loves to zoom out through a thing. (laughs) He does that in Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch may be the most Zack Snyder film. I would believe that. I haven't seen it, but for what I know about it, that sounds about right. It's just like every trick you associate with his style, he's doing constantly. No one's holding him back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's the funeral. They're playing fucking uh, The Sound of Silence. A lot of needle drops in this flick. Yeah, it's kind of got the standard uh, 20th century nostalgia period piece soundtrack. Well, I, I was talking to you about this. I think a big problem with this movie is that Watchmen was a comic book released in the 80s by people who lived in the 80s for people who lived in the 80s about the 80s. So when you're trying to make it in 2009, suddenly you like lose, like you can't take for granted that people understand that cultural context. And you have to, like, make it a period piece on top of all the other weird bullshit you gotta do. And it's just, it's too much. Yeah, it's it's the combo of, like, it's 25 or whatever years later. And, like, yeah. like 80s nostalgia has been going nonstop since then. This whole period has been mythologized on top of the comic being mythologized. Right, right. And I, I feel like we were just kind of just getting into 80s nostalgia in 2009. It re- Like, you know, we had not yet gotten into the world of Stranger Things or anything, you know? But, like, even just the thing of, like, I was the target demo for this movie. I was, like, 19 years old when it came out. I did not grow up in a time where I understood the idea that, like, yeah, there's another country that has nukes, and, like, in theory, we could all die tomorrow. That could happen. Probably won't, but you never know. Like, that's just not the mindset or the culture I grew up with, and that whole comic book is about that. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, they... I don't think this movie does enough to, like, put you in the that state of mind for all of this. It just seems like comic book shit that there's nukes, you know? This movie kind of takes a few pot shots at the whole concept of the doomsday clock. Yeah, which is also, in this movie, way more than it's in the comic book. Like, it's an image the comic book uses, but they're not talking about the idea of the doomsday clock very much. It's a pretty stupid concept. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, I get it in the sense of, like, you were trying to, like, raise awareness or whatever, but, like, who the fuck are you and what's your dumb clock? I don't care. It's the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Who are they? Atomic scientists who run a magazine. Oh, okay. Well, why? how does being an atomic scientist make you an expert on, like, geopolitics? I guess they're aware of how many nukes there are. I guess. I guess that's not nothing. <laughs> Um, that was, speaking of, like, you know, not getting you in the mindset that, like, hey, nuclear war could be a real thing, I had totally forgotten until I started rereading the comic that, like, there's an ongoing thing of people doing graffiti of, like, Hiroshima silhouettes. Why'd you cut that from the movie? That's a striking thing. You love the fucking striking iconography of Watchmen. Why none of the, like, creepy silhouettes of people kissing? 
Yeah, it's one of the best images. It's a really good image. And again, it sells the idea of like people panicking about the idea of nuclear war. Why cut out the bit of like the guy that killed his family because he thought he was sparing them from like the horror of nuclear war that was coming any day? Like have that kind of shit in there to like sell that as a real fear. This is all stuff you can have the newsstand guy talk about. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Again, three and a half hour long movie, but. (laughs) Only three and a half hours because of the dang Black Friday scenes. It's still like 315 even without those though. I you know, I get it. it's it's a stuffed film. I just think maybe they should have allocated that time differently. Everyone's reminiscing about their relationships to the comedian. Yeah, and also Lori went to go visit her mom and we get a whole flashback about yeah, uh, Lori's mom with the comedian with the original Minutemen. She's like, "Ah, oh, I kind of like that guy." And Lori's like, "Why? He tried to rape you." She's like, "Ah, you just don't get it, kid. You'll see someday." And then we have a flashback of her trying, of him trying to rape her. We get point A and point B of this, uh-huh. like, character arc. I don't think the comic or the movie really give me enough to be able to connect those points. Yeah, I mean, Sally's just not a big enough character. And, like, I get it. Like, hey, people have messy lives and, like... This kind of thing happens in real life where, yeah, sure. someone hurts someone very badly, but hey, people are complicated and sometimes that, you know, things happen. But yeah, you're right that, like, there's nothing in between to, like, help you understand at all how that came about. Because here, here's what we get from the comedian. And we get, like, murder, 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 line about yeah. how it's all a joke, murder, 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 rape, line how it's all a joke, murder, yeah. murder, he has, like, a baseline level of politeness when he meets his daughter, murder, right. murder, murder, he's crying in Moloch's room, uh, gets killed. Yeah. Yeah, you, like, the comedian is a wholly unsympathetic character. We are never shown any reason why anybody might like him. And this whole thing is not a minor subplot. It's, it's like, the emotional linchpin of the story. Yeah, it's, like, the climax of Laurie's story. It's the thing that, like, makes Dr. Manhattan care about humanity. Like, it is the thing. And you're right. It could stand... Sally should be a bigger character in the book and the movie. You're totally right. It kind of seems like this is a story about how the comedian comedian's dick game was so good that it restored god's faith in humanity (laughs) i guess i can't disagree with you (laughs) uh i fucking hate how this rape scene is filmed in this movie it's it's they kind of go on you're really feeling the uh movies have images set in time instead of in space sally has a whole thing where like Everyone breaks after they take the photo and says, like, oh, hold on, guys, I'm going to go change. I'll catch up. And then the comedian turns and, like, mugs at the camera, like, ain't I a stinker? I'm going to go rape her. And then we get a lot of, like, sexy close-ups of her undressing. And then he, like, punches her and slams her onto a pool table in such a way that sends all the pool balls that were racked up flying. In a way, like, why, why are you making it, like, a weird, like, cool shot? Like, in the book, he just throws her on the floor. Why are you, like, making a whole, like, thing out of it? Yeah, this is, like, a few frames in the book. Yeah, and, yeah, then, like, Hooded Justice comes in immediately. It's weird. No good. Don't don't care for it. Uh, but Dr. Manhattan is reminiscing about how they won the Vietnam War in this reality. Snyder really upped the, like, gibbs in this movie. What do you mean? When Manhattan explodes, guys, it's, this is like shooting a rocket at a demon in doom. Right, and I think the intended idea is they want to make the violence, like, shocking and horrifying. Because, like, oh, they're superheroes, but it's awful when they do stuff. But it kind of just pushes it to a comedy place. Also, you can't... Zachary. (laughs) 
you can't you can't put Flight of the Valkyries over a Vietnam War scene and expect me not to think you're doing a joke. You've already got a big blue naked man running through Vietnam. You've got to work harder than that to make me take it seriously. I do in principle respect Snyder's idea that like if you do violence, you should you should be serious about like the harm that it does to people. Sure. But yeah, this is completely comedic. Yeah, I mean, hey, the comedian right there agrees with you. He's right. It's all a big joke. You know what they did cut from the book is uh, huh. when Manhattan is having his big scene, he reminisces about like, oh, you know, no one really understands except the comedian. He has like the clearest viewpoint on the world. Right. Which is again, like, I, I get that sucks, but like, I think you're supposed to take it as, well, yeah, John sucks. Like, the, everyone in this book is a is garbage. Like, the best you get is Dan, who's just kind of like a milk toast piece of shit. But no, I, like, yeah. Who in this book isn't, it's, it's like a very cynical story, because kind of everyone is like that. Yeah, yeah, there's not a good person in the book at all. Um, And I think that, yeah, when you completely lack that and like the narrative... It is maybe easy to not think about that when, like, you're getting multiple perspectives, but they're all shitty perspectives. And, like, it sort of just feels like it's reinforcing, like, the bad viewpoints are reinforcing one another instead of just being like, you yeah, know, these all suck. It kind of feels like the book's vindicating them when that's, I don't think that's the intent. There's not, like, a variation in their shittiness. They kind of all fall either in the camp of, like, oh, he's evil, but you know what? He's got a backbone. He's got a f philosophy. Or, like, right. slightly less evil, but they're just kind of, like, hand-wringing about it. They're just kind of going along to get along. Right, they don't actually disagree in any meaningful way. They just are uncomfortable with the implications of what their position is. Which I think is interesting, you know, I think you can, I think you can, and hey, Alan Moore did tell a, like, story about, like, yeah, that's kind of how superheroes would be, maybe, in real life. But, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the comedian does a whole bunch of war crimes. He, he kills a woman that he impregnated in Vietnam. Yep. And Dr. Manhattan's like, dude, that was fucked up. And he's like, yeah, well, if it was so fucked up, why didn't you stop me, idiot? Adrian remembers how he tried to restart the Watchmen as the, the crime busters. Yes. Well, yeah, and I think in the movie, he's just trying to restart them as the Watchmen. Yes. Because Captain Metropolis is not here to do the crime busters to stop all the campus subversion going on. <laughs> the comedian says, like, none of this matters because we could all die in nukes every day. So what does it matter if we stop gangs? Right. You know, it doesn't fucking matter if you catch some bank robbers when there's nukes. So bye, idiots. And then it smash cuts from there to the police riots. Or the, the pro-police riots that look like anti-police riots, but are actually pro-police, I guess. Like, I'm not blaming Zach, but I'm, I'm blaming Alan Moore for this one. This one doesn't make no sense. This one doesn't make no sense. Yeah. Rorschach, uh, we're kind of, once we get past this part, both in the book and the movie, we're kind of done with, like, the interrogation of superheroes as inherently fascist. A little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's still there, but it's more background. Um, Rorschach notices an old man putting flowers on the grave and he finds out this guy is the retired superhero Moloch or Mo- I think that's pronounced Moloch, but eh, this movie says it's Moloch, so hey, who am I to argue? Moloch is a little elf ears. Yeah, he does have a point in the ears. Why does he have them? I don't know. Uh, he's just like that. <laughs> uh, this is one of those bits where I feel like if I didn't already know the story of Watchmen, I'd be like, who the fuck is this guy? What's going on? Am I supposed to know who Moloch is? Who's Moloch? What's going- what? <laughs> Maybe you should read that before Watchmen, colon Moloch. <laughs> uh, 
they do cut out the very good part where uh, Moloch comes home to his apartment and opens his refrigerator and Rorschach jumps out of it to tackle him. <laughs> Why would you cut that, Zach? It's good. It made Rorschach look too cool. <laughs> you know, I, I would accept that as an argument, frankly, because it's maybe my favorite part of Rorschach. <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't like anything he does as much as I like that moment. Moloch describes how uh, the comedian came to his home and started crying because he saw Vyatt's evil plan. This also makes less sense when you don't have a squid. Yeah, they never actually get into how the comedian figured out the evil plan. He just did. Don't worry about it. Because with the squid, the idea is like, oh, they're they're like having it send out psychic messages that are so horrifying that people's brains would explode. And like, if he was exposed to even a little bit of that, of course he would break down like this. Right, and also the idea is that, like, the reason he found out is because he's a fucking, like, government spy, and he was flying, like, a low-flying plane and saw the island where they were building the squid. He doesn't really have a reason to find out about Vite's plan in this movie, and they just kind of glide on over that. Or why it would be so horrifying to him, after we just saw him do all the most evil things imaginable. Yeah, yeah. Rorschach goes down the street and gets her, like, yelled at by a sex worker. Again, they cut- here, they cut a line that makes Rorschach stupider, and they shouldn't have. The bit where he's like, oh, I'm offered French love and Swedish love, but not American love. They don't make it anymore. <laughs> American love, like Coke and green glass bottles. <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about, you dumb shit? <laughs> and of course he has to, like, slow-mo reach for a rose at the grave while he does the Pagliacci joke. Uh, the more Black Parader stuff happens. I feel like we need to speed up. We're over an hour and we're not that. I guess we're an hour into the movie. <laughs> Lori Manhattan, Lori, I can't really relate to Lori not liking when Manhattan has sex with two bodies. I can understand the idea that, like, you know, maybe don't spring that on me. Let's have a conversation about it. And, like, I'm into it, but, like, you can't just do that at the drop of a hat and expect me not to freak out. But her action is more, like, angry at him than, like, freaked out by it. She's like, what the, f what are you doing? Because he's inhuman, he can't relate to humanity by having normal missionary sex. <laughs> Uh, and also, he's secretly continuing to work in the other room while he's having sex with her. He's building the dang reactors with Vite instead of doing whatever he was doing in the book. Yeah, he was just, like, mixing a chemical in the book. Yeah, it, it, it worked better because I was like, oh, this work is, like, he says it's important, but it doesn't seem to be that urgent. It doesn't seem to be that urgent. We're just, right, this is, hey, we could save the world with free energy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, they fight. She says, you know, you know how everything in this world fits together except people. Uh, and storms out. Again, she's just not that good at acting, and I feel bad saying that. Maybe she's good in other stuff. I don't know this actress. Maybe she just wasn't a good fit for Zachary Snyder. Yeah. And we cross cut between, uh, Lori goes to Dan, and they're like, they intentionally go pick a fight with some gang members. Yeah, well, Dr. Manhattan's getting dressed and going to his talk show appearance. Um, and yeah, this is where the violence of this movie just is doofy to me. We're like, they're punching up these gang members, but it's shit like Dan grabs one of their arms and punches the elbow so his bone pops out backwards. Like, what? What are we doing? Robocop would do that. It'd Robocop would do that, yeah. It would be. It just doesn't feel like it fits in this movie. 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't uh, communicate that this is should be taken seriously. Yeah. How do you feel about like this movie kind of gives all of the heroes like low level super strength, whereas in the books, they're just kind of like just kind of people. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah. Like when the comedian's fighting Vite at the start, like he punches a brick wall and like smashes it, you know? Yeah, for, even for them to be able to, like, break their arm like this, to this extreme degree, requires some super strength. Yeah, they're not, you know, Superman, but they, all of them are a little superpowered. They just trained really hard. Which I feel like, it's it's not, like, a deal breaker or anything, it's not the worst thing you could do, but, I don't know, to me, part of the idea is that, like, Vite is the only normal-ass human that got, like, within spitting distance of being a superhero, and, like, that's why the bullet catch is so crazy, right? They're like, what the fuck are you talking about, you can catch bullets? That's not how people work, that's not how people do. And I feel like it, it, it kinda cheapens that a little bit when they're all a little super-powered. Yeah, I agree. It's like, yeah, this movie's got worse problems, but I, I disagree with this choice. Manhattan, he gave everybody cancer. They brought out his ex-wife to say, you gave me cancer. Yeah. I said, leave me alone! Then he goes to Mars. He just goes to Mars to sulk. So has a little tantrum. He has himself a little temper tantrum on Mars. And he just kind of reminisces on his whole life, because Dr. Manhattan experiences all time at once. Except for the future. It's blocked by tachyons. Probably by nuclear war, who can say? This is the first sequence where I really noticed that the editing of this movie, I think, is really inferior to, like, the way the composition of the book paces it. Yeah, because, like, the book is very, like, it's got a very rigid panel structure. Almost every page is just, like, three by three panels. And this whole, like, sequence in the book is really cool because it is just, like, one panel is from this time, one panel's from this time, one panel's from this time. And, like, the images are kind of, like, uh, paralleling with one another and, like, it's all tied together by Manhattan's narration. Whereas this is, yeah, just, it's not even skipping back and forward in time. It just starts at the beginning and goes forward. Right. In the book, it's, like, it's cross-cutting so fast and so much that it almost becomes difficult to follow. Almost as if uh, a human mind can barely comprehend uh, how Manhattan sees time. Right, right. And I, I, I can understand that if you cross-cut that much in a movie, it might be, like, a little, um... It might be too much, but they could do a little bit more towards that. They can do too much. I wouldn't mind if they did a little too much. I think it should be a little overwhelming. Yeah, I, I think that's valid. Also, the reason I, I don't like that they cut his, like, father is that it kind of establishes that he was always a go-along-to-get-along guy. Right. Like, he never really made his own decisions in life, he just does whatever other people tell him to do. Even when he becomes God, he's still that guy. Right, yeah, he's got, he becomes, you know, the, the physics accident happens that turns him into Dr. Manhattan, and then they're like, okay, well, here's what you do. You're gonna go fight crime to establish yourself as a superhero, and uh, then the Ruskies won't fuck with us. I'm Richard Nixon. And he's just like, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's why I kind of read the superheroes in the book as basically not being that important, because they're just, they just slot it right into the existing geopolitical situation. Right. I mean, I kind of like that about it, though. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, too. Like, even for Manhattan, he's still just that guy. Right. Like, they, Lori's mom has a line in the book, like, he's just the new H-bomb, except this one you have to fuck sometimes to keep it happy. <laughs> How do you feel about Nixon in this movie? I think that when he's younger, it's basically fine. In the present day, why'd they make his nose like that? <laughs> I love it so much. 
he's got it's like they put a big clown nose on him and then painted it flesh colored i love the way he's hamming it up oh yeah he's very he's just like the futurama nixon interestingly this is like a more negative portrayal than the book yeah, he's a little, like, because part of it in the book is that, like, he's not going to hit the button and, like, nuke everybody. Like, Vite's wrong. Things are, like, at the brink, but they're maybe, they're maybe starting to cool back down, and then he blows everything up with the squid. When, when they explain, like, oh, if, if we do war, we're gonna, like, lose the whole East Coast, he starts sweating, being like, uh, uh, geez, I don't know, maybe, like, let's give him a week, see if it cools down? Here it's like, oh, let's see those uh, those Harvard liberals think their way out of this one. The last gasp of the Harvard elite. <laughs> and he says, uh, get ready, we're going to launch in two days. Right. Yeah, it's... The guy playing fucking Henry Kissinger is pretty good Kissinger <laughs> impression. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucked up that Henry Kissinger's in this movie. I know he's in the book, but like, even so... Um, we get a flashback to 16-year-old Lori, where she just looks the same as she does as an adult, which is accurate to the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. It's really funny that, like, even when they flashback further and she's 13, she still looks like a grown woman. Right, they, they could have cast someone to be teen Lori. But in the book, too, I mean. Well, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we did kind of glide over the part where John, uh, his girlfriend who stuck with him through him being, like, unmade at the molecular level and rebuilt as a god, uh, he does ditch her because she's, like, 38 now and starts dating a teenager. I don't understand this part that, like, even when he's losing his humanity, he's still so driven by his basic male instincts that he can't help but immediately fuck a 16-year-old because his wife's too old and isn't hot anymore. I think the idea is that he is, like, perhaps he's not as out of touch with his humanity as he, like, tries to act like he is. Like, no, you're still just a fucking guy, and that's the worst part about you. Like, no, 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 no. You still have the same human urges as everyone else, and, like, you just have the power to dress it up as if you're beyond us, and you're just not. They also make, um, Lori, like, more flirty in, in this one. Yeah. I mean, you don't see much of young Lori in the book. It's just kind of like, there's one shot of them looking at each other, smash cut to them making out. Yeah, there's, she looks at Manhattan. This one, she also looks at Night Owl and also kind of looks at um, the comedian that way. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's like she comes here. She's ready to fuck. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter who it is. It's going to be someone. Well, and, like, there's really the only remnant of it in here is the fucking, like, silhouette stuff in the title sequence. The book does have stuff of, like, yeah, some of the superheroes were just horny weirdos that just, it was a kink thing for them. And, like, yeah. I like I like having that in there. Because, yeah, like, of course. Of course. Why else would they dress like that? Right. <laughs> you, you could have a lot of costumes. It didn't have to be fetish gear. This is when the comedian meets his daughter. And uh, mom shows up and be like, get away from her. Yeah, can a guy talk to his, you know, his friend's daughter? I think I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan delivers that line really well. I think he does too. I think I feel bad that I keep just mostly comparing this to the book, which, but hey, this is the first adaptation we've covered on here. What do you want from me? Um, I think that whole like conceit works better in the book, where she can like have that moment where it is splitting that instant of time up more and more until it's cut together to so he's just saying that it's her daughter like that that works in a way that the reveal kind of doesn't land for me here as well 
It's like it's more stylish in the book. Yeah, the editing in the book is way better. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh comedian Caesar, blah blah blah. Uh basically you just have to see that for the twist later, that he's her dad. Uh this is where we get the Nixon scene we were talking about. Um, scientists find out that John's on Mars. We're jumping around a lot. All oh, right, this is where Adrian, someone tries to kill him. This scene, what? Again, why'd you make him such a bad guy? Yeah, he's, they're telling him, like, free energy. That's just another word for socialist. And he's like, well, I'm richer than all of you combined. So if you say no to this, I'll just buy you out. No, you listen. Like, this fucking scene in the book is just him kind of chatting with his secretary about bullshit. Like, they're just walking down the stairs just chatting, and then the assassin attacks here. It's like, let me establish that I'm a real bad piece of shit. I'm the baddest businessman in this room. So there. This is also a very stark comparison to the composition of the panels, because that's like one of the most famous pages. Where it's right. like three panels on each side and then this uh, spread going across the middle. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's like, that issue is also really cool because it is, like, the if you, like, read it back to front and front to back, and, like, don't read the dialogue or anything, just look at the images, like, it mirrors itself in a really cool way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's, it's even more disciplined about, like, the grid layout than the rest of the book, and, like, the colors are inverted from panel to panel. It's really cool. And, like, that, that specifically, there's no way to do that in a movie. That's just something cool that only a comic book can do. Um, but yeah, this whole scene, real like, with how impactful this assassination attempt is in the book, and, like, yeah, the art of it is so cool and, like, memorable, this scene's kind of nothing. You know what movies figured this out is, uh, Hulk and Speed Racer. Hey, those are two pretty good films right there. <laughs> they figured out that you can simply composite the images to kind of be like a comic book. Hey, you sure can. Whereas this, it's like, yeah, if you if you pause every eight frames, you can see that it matches up to one of those frames in the book. But yeah. it's not nearly as stylish. Yeah. Like, there, this scene in the movie makes it way more clear that Veidt's deliberately using the other people in the room as human shields. Whereas, like, the comic, it just seems more like, oh my god, the secretary also got shot. Oh no. Like, he's just obviously evil. And I just don't get it. He's just a bad guy. He's just a bad guy. Yeah, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. We were officially in, like, turbo crisis mode. War could break out any day. Yep. Uh, Rorschach is spying on Dan and Lori, but they don't recognize him because he doesn't have his face on. Um, because he's secretly the guy who's been walking around with the end is nigh sign this whole time. He tries to go back to Mala because he figured out that there's some kind of connection to the pyramid delivery company. But, oh no, it was a trap. And the cops were there waiting for him. Yeah, everybody that got cancer supposedly from Manhattan are actually employees of Pyramid, and so was the assassin that tried to kill Vite. Uh, but yeah, the SWAT team comes in, he very badassfully uh, takes them out with uh, hairspray and a match. But he loses and he gets his face taken off and he goes to prison. No, give me my face! <laughs> That's, I'm not making fun of it, because I like it, it's just very silly, but like... Jackie O'Haley doing a great job. Like, yes, it's silly, but yeah, I'm, he knows what he's doing. And then you have the whole psychiatrist scene in his backstory, which is a full issue of the comic, one twelfth of the story, compressed right. into about three minutes. Yeah, and like that issue of the comic is like the psychiatrist is the main character of that issue. He's like bright eyed and out of touch, and he he just wants to help these uh, these poor cases that nobody else will help. 
but he's also a little ambitious because he knows Rorschach's famous. But as Rorschach tells him his backstory and shows him the true darkness of the world, he he starts seeing the darkness of the world too, and his marriage starts falling apart. I, I think maybe Alan Moore has a low opinion of psychiatrists. I think maybe Alan Moore has some weird ideas about relationships and women. Uh, that's entirely possible. I, I'll say it. Watchmen's the only Alan Moore I've ever read, and definitely there's some of that in here, for sure. But is there other stuff you're thinking of, or are you just thinking of Watchmen stuff? No, I, I only know Watchmen. But, like, in this story, every woman is defined by their sexual relationships to men and, like, what that sexual relationship says about the men. Right, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Manhattan's out of touch because he won't fuck Lori good. And then Dan is kind of a nice guy, but he can't get up because he's too anxious. But then he puts on the suit and now he's masculine. He can fuck good. Right. That's, again, great point to, great way to, like, bring in the whole idea that, like, there's a fetish angle to this that the movie doesn't really get into at all. I didn't get that far in rereading the comics, so I don't remember if that's part of it there. I think the movie actually does improve that angle. Does it? Okay. Yeah, okay. Rorschach describes how he used to be like a normal Batman guy who didn't kill. Then he met the evil guy who kidnapped a girl and fed her to his dogs. And that's when he really became Rorschach. Right, he murdered a girl and fed her to dogs. So he The shot of him driving this meat cleaver into this guy's head looks fucking awful. It doesn't look very good. You can just very easily see the point where the actor gets replaced with this, like, dummy. Or the CGI model or whatever. Yeah, there's really... It looks like a fucking Tim and Eric sketch. <laughs> it just becomes like a normal prison movie for a while, where Rorschach's like a cool guy who's who's beating up all these prisoners. Yeah. Also, I, I didn't get this far in the book again, but didn't in the book, isn't it more of a thing of like, I've chained you to the radiator and I'm setting the house on fire and like, here's a saw, but that chain's too thick. You can't, you won't saw through that fast enough. You got to saw through your arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's more interesting than him just hacking this guy to bits, I feel like. Yeah, because he also burns the whole building down. Right. Could have been other people in there. Yep, yep. We get the famous I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me thing after he dumps boiling oil on a guy's head. Uh, Lori just poking around the owl cave and decides, I know, I'll hit the fire button on your, like, warship that you got down here. This is relatable. (laughs) Could you resist the fire button? I think I'm not hitting the fire button indoors. Um... But yeah, uh, they're starting to, you know, they got some romantic chemistry going. He's showing off his cool goggles. They start making out upstairs. But ah, uh, he's, Crystal, this guy got erectile dysfunction. He's too anxious about the war. Just about that dang war. He's just too, he's just such a, a putz in general. He's just, he's just not manly enough to, to have an erection. <laughs> Which, yeah. my th- like, they're making out, they get naked on his couch, and then, like, the momentum starts to die because his dick won't get hard. And he's like, oh, geez, I'm really sorry about this. She's like, oh, it's it's okay, it's okay. Buddy, you got hands! You got a tongue! What are you doing? Get in there! No, it's, it's gotta be uh, missionary sex. Uh, it's just really, like, this is not a problem as far as she, like... Come on, man! You're Be a gentleman about it! <laughs> this is what I'm talking about! <laughs> if you need time to get warmed up, fine, whatever, but you can take care of her while you're waiting. Uh, they decide to go out and do some heroin. <laughs> yeah. He uses the machine gun on his ship to shoot well, down the water okay, tower yeah, I, to put out a building listen, on fire. 
I know we need to speed up a little bit, but we can't. We gotta talk about how this goes from them having failed sex on the couch to Rorschach in jail with uh, Mickey from Seinfeld taunting him that he's going to murder him. And he's just doing a bunch of short jokes at him because he's a little person. Then cut back to a dream sequence where Dan and Lori are naked in the desert and they peel off their naked skin to reveal their superhero costumes and start kissing while an atom bomb kills them. It's just a... <laughs> you, you can't cut between that many different things that fast, Zach. Why not? It's just... Because I'm not... <laughs> None of these scenes flow into each other at all. So? And then it cuts from there to the Black Freighter. <laughs> then they interrupt him with the Black Freighter. <laughs> it's just wild. Um, but yeah, they get dressed up. They go do some super heroics. Uh, and then now that he's saved fuel from a burning building, now he's ready to fuck because he's got his night owl costume on. This is the famous hallelujah sex scene. Yeah, they play hallelujah while they fuck in the sky. So the thing I like about this scene yeah. is that they look kind of doofy with it. They look a little doofy, yeah. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes it's a little cringe. Isn't that what love is, being cringe together? They look like two people in their 30s fucking. Like, they don't look cool. Because you know what? From an outsider's perspective, fucking doesn't usually look cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't have anything against this scene. People got really head up about it at the time, I remember. Like, it's fine. Yeah, I don't know why people hate this. I think it's because it play. <laughs> I think the big thing is because he... They play the bit where Archie, the, the airship, shoots out the flamethrower when he comes, like, a comedy bit. Because, like, there's a, like, the music stops for a second, and then he, like, hits the button, and then, whoosh, hallelujah. Whereas, like, in the book, it's a, just because of the style of the book, it's a little more, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, austere. Like, it's more like, ah, we're cutting tastefully to the flamethrower going off to imply what's going on. There's no scene in the book. It just happens. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really good comedic timing on the flamethrower. It's funny. Yeah. I just think that people, for some people, they don't want it to be a funny scene. And you know what? Whatever. Get over yourself. Watchmen's a funny comic. Funny things happen in it. Rorschach jumps out of a refrigerator. This is the problem with the 25 years of mythologizing this as like the, the ultimate serious comic. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, meanwhile, that guy that Rorschach oiled up, uh, died, and that caused a riot in the prison. Don't worry about it, I guess. Uh, with his post-nut clarity, Dan decides it's time to go break Rorschach out of prison. They really, uh, they don't compress this one at all. They extend it as much as possible, because this is kind of the big action scene. There's no, there's no climax of people running in a field or stopping a laser to the sky, so this has to be it. No, it's just them punching their way into prison while Rorschach, like, you know, uh, murder strategies his way out of, like, being trapped in this jail cell. Um, he gets his mask back from the psychiatrist and goes, Now tell me, doctor, what do you see as he puts the mask on? I don't feel like the doctor's enough of a character that... <laughs> no, I don't give a shit about that doctor in this movie. Like, he shows up later at the newsstand, like, in the comic. But he may but as well not. That may as well may just as be well a random not. guy. Yeah. Like, cause the the doctor's character arc in the book is right. Everything you said, like, well, he got his mind blown by how evil and awful humanity is. But unlike Rorschach, that inspired him to be a more caring, compassionate person, which we see in the newsstand scenes with him. Right. And that's just that's just not part of this. No, no, no. They go back to regroup at the Owl Cave, but the Manhattan's there, and he takes Lori to Mars. Yep, almost murders her on accident. 
Um, and yeah, it takes her to Mars. Uh, we also get, right, this is where, like, some top knots here about, uh, like, I'm trying to remember the order of events here. Night Owl killed a top knot, right? No, it's that Night Owl busted Rorschach out of prison, and they think it's the old Night Owl. Right, so they decide they're gonna go fuck up Night Owl Hollis Mason. And I like how this scene is shot, where, like, every time he punches one of them, it flashes back to him punching, like, an old, like, Golden Age-ass supervillain. But also, he's, like, not in this movie, so I don't know why we're spending this much time on him. Yeah, I think this was a uh, director's cut edition. This is absolutely a director's cut edition, yes. This is, like, the one point where they do some interesting editing. Like, th this, this could right. be done in a comic, also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. Does is this kind of how it looks in the comic, where it's like cutting back and forth between Hollis fighting these gangsters and like Night Owl fighting supervillains? I don't remember the scene being this detailed in the comic. Okay, yeah, I don't know because I didn't get that far. Yeah, I think it, he he just kind of dies real quickly. There's not like a long fight, right? Uh, Warshak and Night Owl are getting ready to like they they got to get out there and figure out what's going on. Uh, they have like a little bro moment where Night Owl's like, "Hey, you fucking suck." Hey, man, I'm sorry that was messed up to say. Yeah, this is why I say it just kind of becomes a normal superhero story because like this part definitely, yeah. Whatever dark elements of Rorschach there were, this is just like a Holmes and Watson dynamic. He's no longer being like, oh, actually, the uh, murdering rapist was a good American and it's fucked up that you're being mean to him. Yeah, there's there's nothing like that, basically, from this point on. I mean, he does go into this bar and just start breaking this guy's fingers. Yeah, but I guess in the comic, the the top knots are like, there are some gang members who identify with the top knots, but it's also just like a common hairstyle that people wear. Right. I mean, I think they're trying to, it's like mohawks or something. Right. Like, it's it's associated with like punks, but also it's just like a style. So that, that like makes it more messed up that he's like targeting this guy just because of his hairstyle. Right. And he does have dialogues like, hey, a lot of people dress like this, but like, no, they don't. That's not true. Yeah, no. And this movie is just the gang members. Yeah. Because yeah, that's a scene I wish they hadn't cut from the movie is early on when Rorschach's like, well, I need to go dive into the underworld for information. How am I going to do that? I'm just going to walk into the first bar I see and start breaking some random guy's fingers until someone tells me something. And everyone in the bar is just like, man, come on. We don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Stop hurting that guy. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, you need that to, like, that's what's missing from the early Rorschach stuff to really establish, there's, this guy's not cool. This guy sucks. At the same time, action heroes love doing stuff like that. Right, but the, the inversion of it in that scene is that, like, it doesn't work at all, because it, why would it? That's stupid. And then in this scene, it does work. So, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. I guess torture works sometimes. 50% <laughs> success rate, that's not bad. Hey, you know, flip a coin, right. Uh, meanwhile, Manhattan and Laurie are on Mars in his, like, magical glass clockwork castle. Uh, and he's just like, hey, do you ever hear about determinism? It's pretty fucked up. They really butcher this whole sequence. It's not good. No, the, the acting is as stiff as it gets. And there's no, like, the argument is really truncated. And there's none of the interesting composition of the book. Yeah, and, yeah, again, Lori's actress, not very good. Again, this is a bit where, like, this argument is an entire issue of the comic, if I remember right. Yeah. And it's just kind of this one sort of limp scene here. 
she puts together that her dad's the comedian and he's like wow that's fucked up people are fucked up i should go hang out with people yeah like you said before there's like a long sequence of her like remembering this over and over and slowly piecing it together yeah like slowly like removing slices of time until like the relevant parts are all that's left and she can like figure out what it means and the fact that um Miss Jupiter would love the comedian, even though she has every reason to hate him. That's that's the miracle of life right there. Yeah. And like that weirdness is in the book, but they they do a better job of like they elaborate a little more in the book where Lori's like, okay, but you could like say the same thing about literally everybody. He's like, fuck, yeah, you can. That's totally man, that's wild. People are truly a miracle. <laughs> and like, listen, anytime someone is going to like disprove determinism with the power of love or whatever there's a certain amount you just got to buy into it because like one of the unsettling things about the idea like predestination is like there's not a good rational argument against it so you know you kind of if you're going to roll with something that's pushing against it you kind of just have to embrace the emotional side of it and if the emotions don't land like they don't in this movie in this scene then it just it's it's kind of whatever yeah it works better also because there's a long sequence of john like taking her to these mountains like oh look for these cool rocks isn't that cool you'll need life for atoms to arrange in cool ways but you know what life arranges atoms in cool ways yeah, hey. And again, I just think Billy Crudup sounds like a whiny little piss baby in this movie, so when he's like, in my opinion, life, a highly overrated phenomenon. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, this is not the right vibe. Another scene they butchered is um, uh, Night Owl looking through Ozymandias' computer. Because... Uh, in, in, I don't remember how the scene goes in the comic. <laughs> oh, uh, let me tell you. Yeah. The, the camera, as such, stays on him as Rorschach, like, paces back and forth in the background, going through, like, every possible wild out there theory. Whereas here, it's right. cutting back and forth. And yeah. also in this movie, he, like, has to try several passwords. Whereas in the book, he immediately enters Ramses. And then the computer asks, would you like to add a writer? <laughs> <laughs> and then he types in Ramses, too. <laughs> one of the best jokes in the whole book that's so fucking good i love the idea that you put a password in your computer it's like eh, almost <laughs> you're close <laughs> uh but yeah they put together oh my god pyramid international is owned by ozymandias who would have thunk <laughs> and uh meanwhile at karnak a place they have mentioned in one tossed off line of dialogue before now uh, there's a bunch of scientists that are like, wow, Mr. Vite, let's all drink a toast to you and your incredible perpetual energy machine that just look, it has the same energy signature as Dr. Manhattan. And then it cuts to Vite just monologuing into the camera as he's, you know, giving a speech to all the scientists. And he's like, yeah, but I super fucking killed you with that poison champagne though, didn't I? Ah, oh, I'm a little stinker. And then he uses the Dr. Manhattan machine to vaporize them. What's the purpose of killing these guys? Uh, so that they can't ever reveal the secret. Okay. Yeah. It seems like it would make more sense if he just convinced them that they sh can't ever reveal the secret. Like, the whole idea is that, like, well, this is horrifying, but the moral calculus of it bears out. You can't argue with it. These guys should just agree with him. I guess this works better with the squid again. <laughs> <laughs> the squid ties it, it all together. together. Remind me how it works with the squid. Because with the squid, it's like he hired all these people and he has to blow them up in a cruise ship. Then he also kills all his servants because, like, they know the detailed plans of the squid. Whereas uh -huh. these guys are just like, they built the reactor 
they don't necessarily oh, right. know right. all the details of the plan. Right, they don't know that it's... I guess they could be like, hey, I don't know, we just finished that Dr. Manhattan reactor right before that explosion that looked like a Dr. Manhattan reactor. Right. But you're right, it's it's not... It doesn't land as good as the squid. Uh, Rorschach drops his journal off at the right-wing newspaper he likes to read so that they'll publish it. I do love the bit of him constantly checking in at the newsstand to see if they publish whatever shit he sends them. Yeah, uh-huh. Um... But yeah, uh, some more Black Freighter shit. I don't know. He realizes that he's the bad. He has to do a monstrous thing. Maybe he's the bad guy. Just like Vites. Right. It, it parallels. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Um, right. This is where Laurie Manhattan's like conversation comes to a conclusion. Oh my god, the comedian's my dad. Life is beautiful. And the crater we landed in is a smiley face, just like the comedian. Ain't that ironic? It's it's like uh, the holy coincidence. That's one of those things that I think you can just... I think it's less that the comic does, like, the art of it better or whatever, and just, like, I can buy sillier things in a comic book than I can in a movie, because it's a comic book, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't roll my eyes when the crater is a smiley face in the comic. I kind of roll my eyes when it's in the movie. Um, but yeah, Rorschach and Night Owl headed off to Karnak in the Arctic to fight Vite. Uh, the engines of Archie ice up, and they crash land, and they have to, like, walk all, you know, the rest of the way across the ice, while just all along the watchtower is just blaring. That's accurate to the book. Yeah, isn't that, like, the title of the chapter is, like, taken from all along the watchtower? Yeah, they have, they have, um, song lyrics at the end of each chapter, and this is the end of that chapter. Yeah, yeah. Well, song lyrics are, like, sometimes it's, like, a William Blake poem. I'm, I'm cultured, I'm Alan Moore. This is how I sound. <laughs> I'm British. <laughs> uh, Ozymandias is watching 18 TVs at the same time, and they think they're sneaking up on him, but actually they have a shitty fight scene where he just kicks their butts. Yeah, he explains his whole plan. Like, not to keep harping on, I like it better when they're not super powered at all, and it's just like... They're just kind of two doofuses that he just sort of clowns on. Like, I don't need all the slow-mo action in this bit. You know what I mean? It's better to me when it's kind of like just a scrappy fucking fist fight between three guys that one guy is just way stronger than the other two. Yeah. And again, he's still like, I'm I'm super evil. Let me explain to you how I'm saving the world, my plan. And you know what? Again, in the book, it's really funny when he spends 7,000 pages explaining his plan, and at the end of it is a giant squid. <laughs> yeah! They're like, all his fucking brilliant masterminding landed on, what if I just dropped a giant squid on New York City? That'll fix it. But here's actually the the bigger problem with the reactor plan. Uh-huh. Is that when it explodes, it just disintegrates everybody and leaves yeah. a whole crater in the city. Right. The squid, like, there's a fucking blood-soaked squid covered in human bodies left Yeah, behind. there's like six full-page spreads of just bodies and bodies and bodies and bodies. And the buildings yeah. aren't even that damaged. So, like, someone needs to go into all these buildings and drag all these corpses out. Right, right. No, I'm with you. It For as much as this movie tries to, like, overplay the blood and guts of it, they the scene that is all blood and guts in the comic, they took all the blood and guts out. And it's also important that, like, their bodies aren't even that damaged. It's just that the psychic wave exploded their brains. So, like, you can still right. see their faces. Yeah, and, like, just locked in horror. Right. 
yeah, I think this last chunk of this movie is where, like, it has fully lost any charm it had, like, early on. It just, the last, like, act here is just a complete, just face plant. They, it feels like they're having, they're recreating an argument that they lost, like, 20 years ago in a comic book shop. Oh, yeah, about why the squid is stupid and here's how I'd do it better. But also, like, they add in a couple lines where, like, Night Owl goes to fight and says, you haven't saved humanity, you've corrupted it. Right. Whereas in the book, he's just like, uh, I don't know, this is beyond me. Laurie, can we just go fuck somewhere? Right, listen, I beat up, uh, rioting police. <laughs> I, 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 oh, the most intense thing I've ever to do is beat up a guy that called me a slur. I don't know, man. Um, yeah, they, they definitely try to make Night Owl a little more like, wah, I got it. But also he's like, I mean, he's right though. I'm just grumpy about it. Here's the, here's the problem with the, the debate around this is like, the issue is not the morality of the plan. It's that it's really obviously not going to work if you think about it for a minute. Right. Well, so the, the, the logic of the plan in one way or the other, like in the movie version or the comic, is that like, I'm going to introduce an otherworldly horror that kills a bunch of people that forces the Soviet Union and America to band together against it. But like, that threat's never coming back. You have at most bought a little bit of time, even if you never get found out. Yeah, you really just solved the immediate crisis, which again, you cost. Right. Yeah. And it makes yeah, Rorschach it's... look like an extremely cool guy for rejecting it. It does make Rorschach look like an extremely cool guy for rejecting it. And like, I like that Ozymandias' plan is fucking stupid, because again, the whole thing is that like, that that's where I don't feel like the superhero critique is totally gone, and that like... Ozymandias took the critique to heart and was like, okay, obviously, no, you're right, you're right. As a superhero saving the world, I have to do a bigger thing. Oh, I know, the the most awful thing a person's ever done. What if that helped people? What if I hired all my favorite comic book writers and artists to do a stupid comic book plan? What if I made comic books real? Would that make the world better? No? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah, th- I, I was, like, accepting of the Dr. Manhattan version of the plan, but no, you, talking through, you're totally right. The squid is so much better. And not even just on the level of the squid is silly and I like the silly squid. It, it fits the story better. No one's brave enough to embrace the squid. I will embrace the squid. <laughs> also, Boobastus is in this movie just for Vite to kill it. <laughs> yeah, there's no, she doesn't show up before. In the book, she helps him pick out his stocks. Right! Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> His business partner. Does he kill Boobastus in the book? Yeah, he does. Okay, okay. Um, Because, yeah, like, Boobastus lures Dr. Manhattan into the matter disintegrator thing. But that's the dang thing that made Dr. Manhattan in the first place. That was never gonna work. Should've known that, smartest man in the world. Yeah. Lori tries to shoot him, but he catches the dang bullet. Which, again, like, ugh. The, the good thing about the bullet catch in the fucking comic is that he's like, yeah, you're right. That is crazy how I hired a guy to shoot me. How could I have ever known that would go well? I would have to be able to catch bullets to do that. And then they both look at him like, what? And he just gives them the stupidest shit-eating grin. <laughs> it's really good. He's just the smuggest motherfucker. He's not smug in this movie. That's the problem. It's not even cool when he catches it because he just... Like, he doesn't die for it. It just happens. Yeah, and he kind of, like, waggles his hand around and then falls over. And then it's it's embedded in his hand. It's too smooth, so it stops being cool. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably a spot where you don't want to do the slow motion. Like, you don't want to emphasize that he's doing it, you know? Right. Um, Dr. Manhattan reassembles himself, and he's gonna fucking kill Vite, but Vite turns on the TV, and Richard Nixon's like, hey, by the way, that plan totally worked, we're all at peace now. And Manhattan's like, oh, dang, well, shoot, I guess you're right. I guess I gotta go kill Rorschach now, bye guys. Rorschach does say that, you know, if Manhattan really cared, he could just solve this a million years ago. Yeah, I, yeah, which, fair point. <laughs> Why doesn't he just go erase all the nukes right now? It could do it. Nothing's stopping him. Except all that dang old causality. Predestination and whatnot. He says that he can't change human nature. Which is a new line for this movie, but is pretty much in line with the book, because they're constantly concerned with, like, the hearts of men, the human nature. This is, wars aren't caused for reasons. This is, man just is destined for conflict. Right, yeah. And again, you can, you know, argue whether that is the perspective of the book or just the perspective of every character in the book and, like, you're just supposed to draw your own conclusions about it, you know. I don't know enough about Alan Moore as a guy to really know which way is the intention there. Uh, but yeah, he blows up Rorschach. Uh, he has a Rorschach blot-shaped blood splatter. He doesn't know who Steve Jobs is. <laughs> That's true, he doesn't know who Steve Jobs is. If he knew that, he'd be normal. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, so Dan goes and beats up Vite for a little bit on account of Rorschach died. And then he's like, well, I guess I got it out of my system now. Um, they don't fucking, uh, I remember this pissing me off as a teenager, even watching this movie, where they don't have the final exchange between Manhattan and Vite, where Vite's like, see, it all worked out in the end, I won. And he's just like, well, nothing ever ends, Vite. Bye, idiot. And like, leaves Adrian feeling like, uh-oh, what if I fucked up, though? Instead... Then the next scene, they just have Lori say, I know if John was still here, he'd probably say that iconic line he has. <laughs> Why would you write it this way? It's not saving time. It's not like, did you feel like Lori didn't get like enough of a like finishing like touch? She needed one last little like exchange. If so, this is a bad way to do it. <laughs> it's not, it's not good. Yeah. I also... Speaking of her not being a very good actor, I think one another scene where she really beefs it is when she's with her mom's like, by the way, mom, I know that the comedian was my dad. And her mom goes, oh, I just don't know why I never told you. I just felt stupid and ashamed. And, and she just cuts her off and goes, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I know she's trying to be like comforting, but the way she delivers the line, it sounds like, I don't fucking care. It's stupid. Yeah. They really kind of glide over this whole element whenever it shows up, despite it being the linchpin of the story. Yeah, yeah. And again, that is kind of something it's inheriting from the book. That's not, you know, you can't really blame Zach for that one. No, I, I think I think the book has a lot more, like, focus on it to try to sell it. Whereas the movie is like... Does it? Okay, that's fair. Whenever it needs to remind you of this, that this exists, it's just like, oh, by the way, rem remember that? Yeah, no. Uh, again, I I haven't read the back half of the book, so I'll I'll take your word for it that it, it handles it a little better there. But yeah, um, and then it's like, well, there's still a cr there's a huge crater in New York City, but now the city looks fully Watchmenified. It's got the right color palette now. It's got the weird future electric cars. I don't know why you would do this. <laughs> I to show that it's a new day. I guess that yeah. Oh hey, we could have made it look like the comic if we wanted to, but fuck you though. I'm Zack Snyder. They have Vite rebuilding everything. He got a real sweet construction deal out of this. Yeah, uh-huh. 
Uh, but, oh, wouldn't you know it, the New Frontiersman, that right-wing rag, they've got Rorschach's journal, where he figured everything out and accused Vite of everything. Except, he didn't actually know anything when he dropped the journal <laughs> off, he just knew Vite did something bad. Yeah, in the book, the thing he writes in his journal is like, uh, we found out that Vite owns the delivery company. <laughs> right, and I guess the delivery company's tied to the cancer, so, like, he's tied to, you know, exiling Manhattan or whatever, but that's... But all those guys are dead, so they can't corroborate any of that. Can't corroborate anything, and at most, that's a class action lawsuit. That's not, you know, I've unraveled the world. Yeah, this is why I think it's very silly for any sequel to Watchmen to take the journal seriously, because it's basically the equivalent of, like, a QAnon post. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I think that is how the HBO show does it, is it does basically treat it like a QAnon post. Like, there's conspiracy theories about how it was all faked or something, but, like, you know, everyone just kind of assumes that it was real. Because, again, Vite's also doing shit to, like, remind, like, hey, Squid Dimension, it's out there somewhere. It keeps raining squids on us sometimes. It's less awful, but it happens. Like, like a snowstorm? It's literally, like, it's one of the main characters pick up their kid from school and they have to pull over and wait while, like, tiny squids <laughs> rain on their car. Okay, it's like a hailstorm. That's pretty good, yeah. actually. <laughs> There's stuff that was, like, yeah, I've only seen one episode. There was stuff that was good in that one episode and there was stuff that was fucking stupid. Look, this movie kind of sucked. There's th- it's it kind of sucked. I I don't hate it top to bottom. It's not my least favorite thing we've watched on this show, but it's not a good movie. Is it the least favorite thing I've watched on this show? Maybe. Oh, what Maybe. Iron, well, what about Iron Man two? I liked Iron Man two. Did you? Okay. I mean, there's. I mean, he did want his bird. That's simply want, true. I want my bird. <laughs> he, he wants his bird. What about the Incredible Hulk? I get, yeah, that movie. That movie is perfectly serviceable TNT film. Yeah. What about um, Avengers Infinity War? That one's pretty bad. Also about a guy that wants to kill a bunch of people to save a bunch of people. Yeah. I don't know. The thing, this movie is just kind of boring. It's a little boring. It's very long. It's very long, but it's still rushed in the way a superhero yeah. movie is. If they actually wanted to, like, they would have to double the running time of this fucking thing to fit in everything they actually want to fit in and, like, do it justice. He should have just had a, he should have just made an HBO show. He could have done it. It still would have been bad because the act, a lot of the actors are iffy. But that's, in his heart, he wanted to make a fucking HBO show and this is the closest he got. Maybe they should have done David Hayter's script. It, doesn't that end with them, like, going to the real world or some shit? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that would have fixed it. No one's brave enough to hit a squid. I'm giving this movie a D minus. So yeah, r- right on par with Infinity War and Endgame. Yep. I think I'm just gonna give it a flat D, which means I also liked Iron Man two more than this movie. It's yeah, Iron Man two is a better movie easily. First of all, it's half the length. Iron Man two is also boring though. That is a boring movie though. It's half the length though. Yeah, there's there's nothing as good in this movie as fucking Sam Rockwell importing authentic Italian ice cream from California. <laughs> he has a he he has a suit in the suitcase. That's true. <laughs> These movies used to be about how can we put suits in other objects, right? Before they just made it all nano machines. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's also about how Elon Musk is a cool guy, like a real life Tony Stark, if you will. Yeah, Elon Musk is in that movie. He sure is. It's about um, how Scarlett Johansson crushes Happy Hogan's head between her thighs. <laughs> See, there's a lot of memorable things about that movie. You know, it is 
if this movie was made, I feel like if the production schedule on it was moved up like six months, Silk Spectre would break a guy's neck with her thighs. <laughs> yeah. Really dodged that bullet on this one. <laughs> Look, are you ready for some questions? Sure, I'm ready for some questions. Cameron asks, did this movie make you more or less Snyder-pilled? I'd say, I mean, this is one of the few Snyder films I've already seen. I would say about as Snyder-pilled as I was already, which is to say, not very. Uh, definitely less for me. This this is this is certainly no sucker punch. <laughs> I I think I think this is visually it's not even visually a fine film. There's no. there's visually fine scenes in this film, and there's visually really bad scenes in this film. I would say this is visually uh, poor to mid. I would say visually a fine credit sequence. <laughs> sure. Visually a fine cold open. Lena asks. What's your favorite watch face style? Dots, lines, numbers, which numbers? Glow in the dark? Hmm. Okay. This might make me sound like some kind of fucking rube. Some kind of like, you know, uneducated fool. I can read a clock just fine that don't got numbers on it. <laughs> but I'm a busy man. Put the fucking numbers on the clock. <laughs> don't make me have to think, wait, what What number goes on there? Oh, right. That's, that's where the four is. Right. Okay. I, I agree that functionally, for knowing the time, a, a simple digital clock face is best. But if we're talking yeah. about the aesthetics of a, an analog clock. No, yeah, I'm saying an analog clock with numbers, not with the little, like, tick lines. Okay, okay. Or I'll, I'll even go for, you know, get the Roman numerals in there. That's fancy. Okay, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think I like it when instead of IV, they have I-I-I-I. I like seeing that on the clock. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Some of them have them. It's rare, but it happens. Hmm. Hmm. October asks, should Dr. Manhattan's dong have been, like, way bigger? <laughs> now, what if in the scenery he's fucking Lori, they just had a scene where he just sort of blows it up like a balloon? Is <laughs> he? oh, you don't want two of me? Well, that's fine. What if I gave you double dick? <laughs> that's the, you know, that's the, putting this on alan moore and dave gibbons as well if he if the whole point of that scene is uh dr manhattan is simply like going too far out there with the weird sex he's having with his immortal uh omnipotent body get weirder than two guys have him like I, he should just have like a fucking fractal dick yeah yeah yeah. his dick is i don't know it's kind of just normal size it's kind of just a normal dick yeah i don't feel like there's anything um i don't think it needs to be bigger no I kind of wish there was a little more variation between his bodies, though. How do you mean? Because they all look identical. But what if, like, um... Oh, I, I see, yeah. What if he had, like, different shapes he'd like to take? And he's like, which one do you want today, honey? Right, do you, do you want skinny Manhattan? Do you want fat Manhattan? No, it's all muscled all the time. Eleanor asks, when is Snyder gonna watch women? <laughs> My friend, the film you seek is called <laughs> Sucker Punch. <laughs> I haven't seen Sucker Punch, and I, I know you're a fan, and I know Ashley fucking hates it, and I feel like I'm not... I don't know if I want to wade into this one. <laughs> I I feel like you might like the way it operates on multiple levels of reality at once. I think I probably would like that. That that part of the pitch of that movie kind of intrigued me, but I never got around to seeing it. And then, you know, Ashley's like, oh yeah, that movie's fucking dog shit. I hate that thing. And then suddenly, out of the blue, here you come. <laughs> no, that movie's great, actually. That's good. It's a good flick. <laughs> 
it's hard to talk about because like I think it's smarter than people give it credit for, but it's not that smart, so I don't want to overstate it. No, I know exactly what you mean. I've got things like that. <laughs> uh, Moon Rules asks, which giant creature would you send to unite the world? Oh, I see. If I, if we're doing the squid plan, but not a squid. Yeah, the thing is, squid's kind of a classic for like an otherworldly creature. I was going to say, I feel like you, it's got to be an ocean creature, I think. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind is like a whale, like a blue whale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Death Stranding. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what what, what sea creatures do I find frightening? And I think a flounder. Oh, sure. Every time I see that motherfucker with two eyes on the same side of its body, I'm like, oh, my disgust yeah. instinct is activated. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. What if this is slightly a different vibe, but what if it was just like a giant like coral reef just ripped through a bunch of buildings? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. I, uh, when I was like nine or 10, my family went on a cruise and we went, um, uh, snorkeling at one point. And, um, I like, he's like, oh, check out the coral reef. Like, the tour guy's like, now, you know, the coral is endangered and it's very sensitive. Do not touch it. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, you will damage it if you touch it. You can look at it. It's very pretty. Don't touch. And I'm just, I'm like face down in the water, you know, with my snorkel up. And I'm just kind of floating along looking at the cool marine life and whatnot. And then I like pick my head up after I don't know how long and there's no one around. And the boat we took out here is not around. I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, uh -oh. <laughs> and then I like look, I look back down to the water and somehow I've gotten to the point where like there's coral on every side of me. And I am so fucking like paranoid. Like, oh my God, A, I'm lost. No one knows where I am. B, if I move at all, I'm going to hit this coral and I'm going to break it. And then I'm going to like go to jail. <laughs> For like <laughs> ruining a wildlife habitat, Aww. and I was, I was a really, it was, I was afraid of that coral in that moment. So I that think that's what we so need to bring scary. into. And yeah, yeah. Like, luckily, it was really just like you know, people were not that far away. It just seemed like they were, but yeah. I just think, yeah, coral breaking through a fucking city, or like barnacles growing on the outside of a skyscraper. Yeah, I think some sort of a uh, more uh, plant-based thing would be terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mushroom. Okay, yeah. Just like the greatest story ever told, The Last of Us. Uh-huh, yeah, there you go. You mix the greatest comic with the greatest video game. <laughs> the Unstoppable. <laughs> oh, the masks. Better or worse than Shrek? Oh, I have not seen Shrek in a long time. Let me let me let me tell you something, Luke. Yeah. This movie ain't no fucking Shrek. <laughs> Shrek is a is a good flick. It's a classic are flick. Watch, are we watching Shrek at some point? I do you want to? <laughs> I mean, listen, we got a lot on the docket, but you know, who knows? Who knows what twenty twenty four will bring us? It's it's simply a classic film about an ogre learning that he can be loved. <laughs> And eventually leads to the groundbreaking film where a cat has a panic attack. <laughs> yeah, I, I ain't watched that Puss in Boots, but it really... it. Hey, much like you with Sucker Punch, it was like one of those things like, this is better than you think it is. But it's not that good. But also people are really... People are not doing that second step. The first Puss, Puss in Boots movie is alright. Okay, I believe you. I, you know what? No, I don't. It's just, it's just like, do you like listening to Antonio Banderas? You know, I guess I do. He's got. Well, a there you voice. go. They made a whole movie yeah. for you. All right. The the plot of that movie is that he grew up in an orphanage with Humpty Dumpty, and they like do heists together. I think it's all right. All right. 
Ah, oh, the masks also. How are the stairs? Um, I'm trying to think of what stairs we got. There's the stairs leading into the Owl Cave, which are, you know, fine, like a dingy basement staircase. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not an ornate stairwell, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, Vites, uh, Karnak has an ornate stairwell, doesn't it? I don't remember it. Yeah, I guess that's a pretty big indictment of it, huh? You've shit stairs in this movie. Yeah. Movie ain't got no stairs. I'm trying to think if there's any good Snyder stairs. Hmm, he might not be a stairsy kind of director. Uh, there was, um, the Oracle in 300. Weren't there a bunch of stairs going up to her? Gonna be honest, I don't remember 300 all that clearly, Crystal. I saw it opening night and have not watched a frame of it since. It's not It's not a great film. No. Uh, oh, that's one thing I wanted to complain about with this movie. Like, the, the ending of it with the guy finding Rorschach's journal. You can't do, like, the triumphant rock anthem over that. That doesn't work. That's not the vibe of that. I don't think you understood this comic that you love so much, Zack Snyder. What should the vibe be? Like, ominous. Like, well, that's fucked up. I don't, like, I don't know how to feel about this. Is it good that the lie's being revealed? Is it bad that, like, the world's gonna fall apart again? I, I don't know. Yeah, it is something of an inconclusive ending. Yeah, whereas this makes it much more of like, Ah, Rorschach got you in the end, didn't he? I guess I see why Ozymandias was right, guys, popped up. Because this movie is... Like, very, very strongly anti-Ozymandias. Yeah, yeah, this movie is for sure. The comic is, I think the comic is too, but more, like, subtextually. Like, on the surface, like, no, there's kind of no rational arguing with him. Like, you you can be grossed out by what he did, but he's kind of objectively right. Or is he? Uh, I don't know. He's also just a more charming guy in the comic. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark asks... Do you feel that anything about the movie was nine panels per page, or did that disappear in adaptation? No, they. I don't think there's any real attempt to like ape any of the structural stuff Watchmen does. They butchered it, and like I, I'm not a like. That's okay. You don't have to. You can like play to the strength of the cinema instead. But I don't really even know if they did that. This is why I'm always saying visual medium should focus less on the narrative and more on the visuals. It'll all come together if it looks good. I mean, that's true. I, I like narratives, though. Those are good to me. Well, you can read books for those. <laughs> Why can't I watch movies for them? You, I want to see some images, and you know what? I want 24 of them each second. I mean, I agree. I also want that. I just don't see why we have to give up one for the other. Well, I think if you if you sequence the images, they will create meaning through the montage. Well, well, I hadn't looked at it that way, Crystal. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah asks, if you and Zack Snyder were attending a boardwalk style amusement park together as friends, what kind of rides would you like to ride with him? Or what kind of games would you like to play with or against him? Oh, sure, sure, sure. I feel like Zack Snyder's like got some some arms on him. He could probably do that hammer thing pretty good, like the bell, you know. I kind of want to go in a haunted house with him. Oh, sure, like a you hall of mirrors. Sure, sure. That's usually my favorite thing at a boardwalk style amusement park. Yeah, yeah. Love a good hall of mirrors. I like those things that like the, what do you call them? Like the Gravitron where like it spins you hard enough that like the centripetal force pins you to the wall so they can drop the floor out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are pretty good. Tank asks, he did the right thing, didn't he? It all worked out in the end. No. Hey, that's a quote. No, he definitely didn't. No. He made everything worse on purpose and then tried to make it better. And it's dumb. He's a dumb idiot, man. At least in the book, he made the squid. 
You made a At cool monster. At least it was a cool squid. Yeah. yeah. But really, he didn't make that. He just paid other people to make it. He's stealing the surplus value. That's that's so true. Alternatively, what foreign nation would you choose to be conquered and subjugated into America's 51st state? What? <laughs> what kind of fucking question is that? Does that happen in Watchmen? I, I think maybe Vietnam becomes the 51st state, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like you can't do the whole of Canada. That's too big to be a state. That's too big. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then the options, I think, are definitely either Ontario or British Columbia. Depends on if you want to control the Great Lakes or the Pacific. Right. I'm just trying to think of what's a cool vacation spot. <laughs> okay, you want, a, like, a Hawaii vacation state. Right, I mean, if we're if we're imperially subjugating another nation, it better be a good tourist destination, I guess. Uh, I don't know if I'm into the premise <laughs> of this question. Japan? Sure, there we go. I hate this. <laughs> why did they make Vietnam the 51st state? Uh, just, to, you know, because they're, you know, why wouldn't they? I mean, they can have um, territories, but why statehood? You know, you bring up a good point. <laughs> Here's the thing. 50 is just such a nice round number. Yeah, it is. That's so true. If if you add another state, we're going to have to merge some. Yeah, no, I I mean, listen, South Dakota, North Dakota. What are we doing? Just make it Dakota. It's fine. I think you could do that and nobody would even notice. No, I'm, th I'm thinking New England. Do we really need a Vermont and a New Hampshire? Yeah, nope. That's another one. Um. I think you just slap uh, Idaho and Montana together and you call it done. I don't know. That looks too big on the map. I mean, it's big, but, you know, who fucking cares about either of those places? Delaware? That's not a real state. That's Maryland. I, I think Idaho needs to figure out a cooler gimmick than fucking potatoes. And until it does, I think it should get its statehood revoked. Uh, it has Napoleon Dynamite. That's not cooler than potatoes. What's wrong? You know what? Potatoes, one of the best vegetables. Yeah, you know what? Potatoes are pretty good, actually. Yeah, what's maybe, wrong maybe with I... producing potatoes? Yeah, all right. Maybe that's maybe a better identity than Delaware. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I take it back. Yeah. What? What? What's Delaware good for? Crossing it? Uh, tax haven. Tax. Yeah. You know. You know. Yeah. Get that the fuck out of here. Home. Home of Joseph Biden. Last question from KB. Isn't it kind of fruity for Zack Snyder to watch men? Lol. Lamau. <laughs> Got him. I don't think Zack Snyder is good at making fruity characters. Looking at this movie, no, I can't say it's as he is. I'm trying to think of one. Uh, Xerxes in 300. Mm, that's just homophobic. That's different. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Okay, okay. And he didn't make that one. That's, that's a Frank Miller original. Sure, I've, I haven't read 300, so I don't know what's faithful to the comic and what isn't. Yeah, no. Even even Ozymandias, I feel like, is less fruity than in the comic. Yeah. Just because he's, he's wearing darker colors. Right, right. Even though he's got a folder of boys. Yeah, the folder of boys does not make up for being really into dub music and wearing, like, purple and gold gowns. Right. <laughs> Luke, that's the end of our questions. What are we doing next? Uh, well, I think that me we're, we're continuing into the Snyderverse proper with Man of Steel, right? That's right. We're watching The Man of Steel. I've, the only Snyderverse movie I've watched. I didn't like it when it came out. Let's see if my opinion's changed. For now, I'll leave you with our one and only Watchmen joke. Oh, shit. Okay, these jokes are not about Watchmen. They're just about, like, the profession of being a Watchman. Oh, shit. <laughs> 
jokes are so fucking bad, my god. <laughs> okay, let me look at Rorschach jokes. Okay, alright. 34 best Rorschach jokes. Okay, here's one, here's one. From upjoke.com slash Rorschach dash jokes. Okay. People say that Rorschach from Watchmen is a great character, but I don't really know what people see in him. <sighs> Alright. <laughs> <laughs> uh.